What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 198 of Two Black Nerds. Nerds. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and our takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that. Love y'all. And let's not forget to mention, we have brand new merchandise is available now at twoblacknerds.com. Go check out our Two Black Jedi and Sith collections inspired by Star Wars. We got t-shirts, crew necks, hoodie stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be reviewing the brand new animated superhero film from Nickelodeon, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Also, we'll discuss one of the year's biggest breakout hits, the A24 horror film, Talk To Me. Plus, stick around for our very special conversation with the writer and producer of The Boondocks and the creator of the Black Dynamite TV series, Carl Jones. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with a review of the Netflix sci-fi comedy film, They Clone Tyrone. Crazy. Everything okay in there, baby? I'm just an average man with an average life. Where the money at? I'm an entrepreneur. I work in the spirit of the pimp game. You know, your girl gotta know what's going on in these streets. That's the car right there. Slick, come on. That make your spider senses tingle. What kind of shit is this? Like I'm in the twilight zone. Don't let the back door hit you. Uh, we gotta, we gotta go. I don't know what that was, but that wasn't me. Somebody is conducting experiments on us. Okay, we ain't got a time for no negativity. Go give me some goddamn wet that stumbling through my. You keep your pimp hand raised and be willing to protect the ones you love by any means necessary. I ain't scared. I'm a dope boy, remember? Excuse me, kind sir, but if you could pull me to the elevator that leads down to the Fiki Laboratory, I'll be out your atmosphere. Let's get it, man. We're on the scene trying to figure out what has happened. I see this shit fucked up. They out here cloning this. What the fuck going on in this bitch? That's right. That is the prevailing theory. Tell me, is it just a Now, this film is directed by Jewel Taylor, and it's written by Tony Rettenmeyer and Jewel Taylor, and it's starring John Boyega, Tiana Paris, and Jamie Foxx. 
So Jewel Taylor, the director of this movie, this is his first time directorial debut helming this film, They Clone Tyrone, which premiered a few weeks ago on Netflix. However, he is not a novice when it comes to Hollywood. He's actually a writer on recent sequel films such as Creed 2 and Space Jam, A New Legacy. So he definitely has the pedigree with mainstream entertainment, especially recent black mainstream entertainment. But this is his first time behind the camera helming his first feature film. And They Clone Tyrone is also a movie that we've been waiting on for quite a while. I believe when Netflix was initially promoting this movie, it was actually slated to come out last year, I believe in the fall, maybe even the winter time of last year. But Due to unknown reasons that we're not necessarily privy to, they decided to push this back a little bit, and so it finally released just a couple of weeks ago, and it also is interesting to note that this released in the midst of the Barbenheimer phenomenon, which is kind of really the last time that we recorded, so we haven't gotten a chance to talk about this film, but I know it's something that we both were excited about, and we both got a chance to check out over the past couple of weeks, so with all of that out the way, man, I will pass it over to you. What did you think about They Clone Tyrone? You know, it, it was actually kind of easy, I think, to be both excited and afraid for They Clone Tyrone initially, first and foremost, because just Netflix in general, we know how Netflix movies, original movies have gone here in the past. And so when They, Cl- they Clone Tyrone first started showing pictures and who was going to be in the movie, you telling me John Boyega, Tiana Paris and Jamie Foxx are going to start a movie together? I had to be excited. And then you tell me it's a Netflix movie. I'm like, ah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen here. And so there was a it was definitely a mixed bag of emotions, but still excited nonetheless to see this movie. And then the trailer comes out. And you're like, wait a second. What really is this thing? It's a sci fi mystery, you know, kind of kind of thing going on here that I, I'm, I'm not expecting, especially uh, particularly with Tiana Paris and, and Jamie Foxx's characters. They are playing into like some black black exploitation characters. So it really was like, man, there's a lot of good ideas here. I don't know what to expect. And so getting into the movie, man, they clone Tyrone is just this crazy, wild, uh, uh, just hood mystery low key about literally a pimp, uh, a hoe <laughs> and a drug dealer have now accidentally become superheroes because they might be cloning people within their neighborhood and they might be using them for for some 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 other social experiments and so man this is this this movie uh uh comes out and i think it has a decent amount of flavor to it i really really like the way this movie is shot uh i think i I wasn't expecting how well this movie would be shot because again overall for the most part there's not a ton of like netflix movies where i'm like oh my god that had a bunch of style (laughs) you know what i mean there might be like some decent story stuff but this movie had a lot of flavor and so i give uh, uh attribution to joelle taylor being you know their directorial debut going pretty pretty decent but behind the camera here um of course the cast is phenomenal john boyega tiana paris and jamie fox again do what they need to do all three of them are funny john boyega's character is not supposed to be funny but he is <laughs> just because all of the circumstances that are going on um yo yo tiana paris's character might low-key be my favorite even more than jamie fox's character i don't know it, it really varies between those two but they did they, they did what they needed to do in this film and i think they brought uh, um a, a decent amount of i think experience to the movie too which really helped uh because I could see a movie like this being being done in, in, in the cast not being as experienced and some of those jokes that are having to be made or some of these character tropes having to be made falling kind of underneath, I think, uh, uh, I don't know, just kind of lack of experience. Like I felt Jamie Foxx experience in the movie. I was like, 
I don't know if anybody else could have said that, and that would have been funny to me. <laughs> but it was funny because it, it was delivered correctly. So I appreciate the cast for everything um, they brought to the movie as well. The story is swinging. I I think there's some there's a couple things we've seen here before uh, uh, here recently between movies like uh, um, the Get Outs and things like that. There even like some Black Dynamite stuff in here. I was kind of feeling like oh, I feel like I've seen you know bits and pieces of these conspiracy things before. Um, but I think uh, overall it's a fine watch. Uh, I was expecting a little more to be honest first two acts they had me something about the third act I really like but it doesn't bring it home all the way it's something about the there's a story beat in there that I'm like okay but this feels like it had been done before <laughs> I was like ah, and, it, and I think it took me away just a little bit in the end but for the most part leading up to that third act I had a pretty good time with this film again I think it was shot well I think the music uh was doing what it needed to do and and the acting was pretty good uh for the most part across the board I just wish the story brought it home a little bit harder and I think it would have been a slightly better movie for me but overall I enjoyed it and I think Netflix has a little mini win on their hands just as they did with uh uh was it was it was the name of the the cowboy movie the harder they fall what's the name of that movie mm-hmm. yeah they did a decent job with that, and I was surprised at that. And I think they call him Tyrone kind of falls under the same vein because something about these black stories that I I don't know I get I get I get anxious about you know especially again when it comes to Netflix and their inconsistency I get anxious about. But I'm glad to say I think they have another little secret, uh, pretty decent movie under their belt with they call him Tyrone. So as I noted earlier, this is something that we've been waiting on for a while now, at least a year, maybe a year and a half at this point. And so I've been just like eagerly anticipating the release of They Clone Tyrone. As you already said, the release of Netflix original movies has been, for me, mostly misses. I, I really don't enjoy a lot of the output, which is unfortunate because they always get stacked casts and really stellar talent in front of and I would say behind the camera. And it's also an interesting landscape to where a lot of new burgeoning filmmakers can sort of make their name with Netflix directorial debuts, as we see here in the case of Jewel Taylor. And once I finally got a chance to check out They Clone Tyrone, I was pleasantly surprised to say that I had a pretty good time with the movie. I, I love the premise of it, and I love the idea that it is this melting pot of all these different genres that it is trying to tackle. It's part black exploitation, it's part government conspiracy. There's influences from all sorts of other cinematic and musical things that you can pull reference from. Everything from musical things like like a Bootsy Collins to mm -hmm. movie references like Jackie Brown from Quentin Tarantino or Boogie Nights like all of that stuff yeah. is is being integrated into the story and it feels fresh in that in that respect because we are following three black leads essentially tackling what is sort of a mystery and I, I love what Jewel Taylor said about the movie he said what kind of inspired him was was to tell a a ghetto sort of Scooby-Doo style tale where <laughs> the heroes yeah. who were at the forefront of the story they don't necessarily know what they're doing. They're kind of inadequate, but somehow they become perfect for solving the mystery at hand. And so they can come together and utilize all of their knowledge, all of their wits and resources in order to figure out what's going on here. And so you really get this interesting and I think charismatic dynamic between the three main leads, between John Boyega, Tiana Paris, and Jamie Foxx. They were all absolutely incredible. Jamie Foxx is hilarious as usual, coming in as Slick Charles. He was having so much fun, and I had so much fun watching him, especially considering everything that we've been hearing about him in the media, just to know that he was able to get this off of his chest and to film something like this and to just mm -hmm. go balls to the wall with it. Jamie is like one of the few celebrities that excels at literally everything he does at the highest level. He does comedy at the highest level. He does dramatic acting at the highest level. He does music at the highest level. Like He's really in a league of his own, and once again, I think they clone Tyrone once again proves that He's always going to be good anytime he shows up, even in movies that I didn't necessarily enjoy as much like last year's Day Shift. 
Jamie Foxx wasn't the issue. He was still very much right. a treat to watch. And then the story, as it unfolds, it is interesting. It does really pull you in and, and, and allows you to lean in to want to know more. But I'm, in, I, I'm of a similar mind as you that the third act doesn't quite deliver, I think, the satisfying conclusion that you would expect out of this movie. The first two acts had a lot of steam behind them. But by the third act, I don't know, maybe they jumped the shark. Maybe the mm-hmm. car got a little bit too far ahead of the horse with the story. Maybe they felt like they had to really do something that was kind of wild and over the top, which you would sort of expect with this movie when you're talking about cloning. I mean, this is already sort of a fantastical thing, or maybe it's not so fantastical, depending on who you may ask, because there are (laughs) conspiracy theorists out there that believe in this type of thing. But I do think that they lost a little bit of steam by the end, and so that was one of the things that kind of brought it down a little bit for me. And there's a lot of ideas and a lot of different things that they're trying to tackle here, even as it relates to the representation of black people in the media, which I do love that message there as well, and also just the location of it. You mentioned how it's shot. I think a lot of that is also attributed to the location of it. This is very much a a Southern-style movie. Mm -hmm. At one point, I thought it might have been in like a a throwback LA. It, it almost kind of felt like what I'm watching on Winning Time on HBO, but then I realized that this is very Southern, and when you think about Southern locations, some some Southern locations just don't always have the resources, and so this place, though it's taking place in, in modern times, they don't have all the resources of a of a newer town or of a, right. of, of a newer city, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I love that they kind of leaned into that a lot with the aesthetic of the movie. So there's a lot to enjoy about it. There's there's a lot of themes. There's some really great performances, some funny comedies, some great costume and production design, and some incredible cinematography. It's just kind of, you know, one of those things that doesn't quite wrap up the bow as neatly by the end of it as you would like it to. But overall, still a really enjoyable experience. And I think I would certainly say it's better than most recent Netflix films that we've seen yes. lately. <laughs> and they release a lot, and, and it certainly stands kind of, head and shoulders above a lot of their, their recent output. And so I'm excited to see hopefully what they do next with black actors and black creators behind the scenes and, and what comes next from their slate of films. But folks, those are all of our thoughts on the Netflix feature film, They Clone Tyrone. If you've checked out this movie, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to transition and talk about our next movie. It's the brand new animated superhero film from Nickelodeon, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. We have a very important mission for tonight. We must use stealth and cunning to infiltrate the human world and retrieve Go-Gurt. Okay, Batman. Dude, what? I'm just trying to hype you guys up. Let's go! From Seth Rogen comes a movie that crushes for absolutely every age. Amazing. Insane. All right, tell me more. It's effortlessly cool and visually stunning. It's the most fun you'll have at the movies this year. That seems very dangerous. We eat danger for breakfast. Actually, I eat pizza with bits of waffles on it. With the funniest cast ever assembled. Surprise! Astro! Oh, I get it. Enough! Oh, man. You can't stop us. Lock and look. We're the only ones who can do this. I'm awesome. We're brothers. We fight together. We're just getting started. Yeah, she sounded like a leader. I do? Oh, I do! Oh, I sound like such a leader. And you ruined it. Ninja Turtles. Remember, don't let any human see you.
Now, this movie is directed by Jeff Rowe, and it's written by Seth Goldberg, or excuse me, Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, Jeff Rowe, Dan Hernandez, and Benji Samet, and it's starring Micah Abbey, Shaman Brown Jr., Nicholas Cantu, Brady Noon, Ayo Adebri, Maya Rudolph, John Cena, Seth Rogen, Rose Byrne, Natasha Dimitrio, Giancarlo Esposito, Jackie Chan, Ice Cube, Paul Rudd, Austin Post, and Hannibal Burris. Very stacked cast there. But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, this is now, I believe, the seventh theatrically released Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. There have been a mix of live action films and animated films, and they've had no less than, I think, four animated series come out over the past 40 or so years. But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is certainly one of those one of those IPs that has staying power, I think, within the pop culture consciousness. It's been around since the 80s. It started off as a comic book and quickly transformed into a global mass media franchise. Before we dive into our actual thoughts about the film, I kind of want to ask you, what's your relationship to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Because it's not something that we always talk about, mm -hmm. and it isn't at the forefront of many conversations when you talk about superheroes or superhero media but they are superheroes they've always been acknowledged as that but they kind of occupy a different space maybe because they aren't under the marvel or dc umbrella they did start with mirage but what's your relationship with the teenage mutant ninja turtles and how has it evolved over the years man so i i just remember growing up um of course there was other films kind of in the same realm of ninja turtles that says like the mighty Morphin power rangers movies <laughs> things like that but around that same time growing up again i'm looking at my cousins and i'm hanging around them and they they start watching these ninja turtles movies i'm like okay what's going on here you know young cat i barely know what's happening not only that in tandem around the same time we're playing super nintendo and Ninja Turtles had Turtles in Time, <laughs> and there was another Ninja Turtles game that came out before Turtles in Time. I forgot the name of that one. But literally, my family had been pretty going pretty hard in the realm of Ninja Turtles, again, from the movies to they had action figures, and again, to video games like Super Nintendo's uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time, where we're like spending a decent amount of time with these characters. And so my, my, my time with them dates back actually very far um into again early childhood and i remember just everybody one of the funnest things about the ninja turtles will always be okay which one are you <laughs> and so everyone's picking oh michelangelo i'm leonardo and i've always been a donatello kid it just makes sense like even if you watch the movie and you know me people be like yeah that's this i'm like oh whatever whatever but it it, it, it it's always been really cool i think to uh, uh i think somewhat relate to just these these turtles they don't look anything like us but they have the personalities of real kids and so that that's kind of always been my relationship to ninja turtles and then post that in my own outside of my cousin's realm and in, in, in their their wing uh uh growing up watching other ninja turtles cartoons i mean there was almost always a ninja turtles cartoon kind of on tv you know what i'm saying almost at all times throughout i mean wb kid I mean, you wake up in the morning it's probably a Ninja Turtles cartoon that's about to come on. And so I, I, I definitely miss those times. Not only that, though, but kind of as a Jason, there's actually an Easter egg Loki in here I just thought about, which is really cool. Not only that, but Ninja Turtles, Daredevil, and uh, uh, what is it? And Jackie Chan Adventures all share like the same vein of whatever the hell's going on, right? Starting with Daredevil, where like, he was trained by Stick, and the Ninja Turtles are trained by Master Splinter, and then there's the hand, and then in Ninja Turtles is the foot, and then in Daredevil, or, you know what I mean? There's like, a, I don't know, there's a lot of cross-references there. So my, my Easter egg that I thought about is that it's really cool that Jackie Chan 
plays Master Splinter in this, having been from Jackie Chan Adventures, which also shares a little bit of that same DNA. But overall, man, it's just been a very, uh, I think, um, integral part. <laughs> you know, my, it's another piece of that nerdum. Like you said, we don't talk about too much because it's not Marvel. It's not DC. It's not, it is, it, they do have comic books, don't get me wrong, but it's not as comic book-y, right? It just feels like something we've all kind of grew up with. Uh, again, similar to that vein, kind of Power Rangers was, where it's like, it's just there. <laughs> and it's just something we enjoy. So yeah, man, it, it, it dates way back. Yeah, you mentioned the cartoon, that original series from the 80s. That is the one that really sort of ingratiated me to the Ninja Turtles. That 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 occupies some of my earliest memories of childhood. Of course, I wasn't born in the 80s, but it was still on. That show ran for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And so by the early 90s, those were some of the earliest episodes of television I remember watching. And then at the same time, I remember those live action movies coming out and watching them. And admittedly, I have to say, just as a preface before we actually dive into this movie, that... I don't know if there's really been any good Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Like, they're fine. Some of them are just kind of flat out bad, but they haven't been the greatest things. And I think that that Mm -hmm. is partially the reason why we don't always talk about them as much. But as I said, they've always managed to remain relevant because there's always been a series on. They continue to produce comic books. The merchandise has gone crazy. We'll talk about that a little bit later after we get into the movie. But Ninja Turtles is something that definitely is a, I think, important piece of pop culture because... Though you have these turtles, which are obviously inhuman, they they very much feel like these kids that we can relate to because of the references that they say, because of the fact that they are supposed to be teenage in nature, and we all go through sort of that phase there. But I think it's been one of those things that's always found a way to just kind of stick around. That TV show was syndicated so heavily all the time. Like, even if you didn't have a certain channel, like, at some point, you would eventually see it. There's always some sort of way to watch Ninja Turtle stuff. And I would also have to credit Paramount that lately they've been doing a really good job at gathering all of those TV series and all of those past movies and putting it on their platform to make it available in case people want to go back and watch that legacy, those legacy stories. And so with all of that out the way, man, I do want to get into the actual movie here. This is a movie that was developed really by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. We talked about them a few weeks ago with their latest comedy film, Joyride, and their production company and just all the different pockets of things that they've been into and this is kind of the latest adventure that they've decided to tackle ninja turtles now they have also tackled other comic book properties before with things like invincible and the boys this is somewhat different but i think it kind of makes sense that they are leaning into the teenage aspect of the teenage mutant ninja turtles seth rogan himself i mean that's really his bread and butter he started off Mm -hmm. with freaks and geeks he's written teenage movies like he knows what it's like to be a teenager and he Mm -hmm. knows how to write for those types of characters and so they actually got this movie across the finish line and worked in tandem with Nickelodeon Paramount, who have been sort of the shepherds of the Ninja Turtles franchise for the past, I would say, at least 12 or 13 years. They actually acquired it actually back in 2009, so a little bit longer than that. And they've really been able to catapult it to, to I think, new heights and new success. But what did you think about this new movie, Mutant Mayhem? I'll pass it over to you. What were your thoughts on this new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie? You know, low-key, this movie was black as hell. <laughs> Even though you, I get it, Seth Rogen's white, Evan Goldberg's white. This movie black as hell. First, are they white? One of the re- <laughs> right. One of the reasons I think is pop culture in general is one of the blackest things there is. Right, black people are just so influential that usually when things are so pop culture heavy as this movie is, it just feels black. The references feel black. They they bring up Drake, Beyonce, and other random, you know what I'm saying? Like things that feel like, dang, that's a, feels like something a black person would say. That's one reason for it. Another reason for it is, I think I remember when I was little, 
though Ninja Turtles, again, look nothing like us, I think I always attributed some of the experiences of the Ninja Turtles to black people. They kind of, especially like black nerds, they're kind of underground. They can't really tell too many people who they are. Yet they help change the world in ways that nobody really understands or can see because they have to conceal themselves. And so this movie, leaning into that pop culture aspect, leaning into that teenage aspect, all of it just uh, overall just felt hella black to me. I was like, damn, this, what is going on here? Again, the music was going crazy. And then you add on Ice Cube, who was having the time of his life <laughs> in this movie. I mean, Ice Cube is kicking it in this film, y'all. I mean, he's he's cussing. He's making references to Missy Elliott. It's just, it's, it's really wild, kind of the things they were letting Ice Cube do. But that unhingedness, I think, or that, 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 that uh, they allowed Ice Cube to have in this movie, I think really... Also help it in the end as he played the villain of, of Superfly. Um, and so I really enjoyed Ice Cube in this film. I really enjoyed, again, just us being able to say these are real teenagers. Like, they are legit. Go- I mean, I'm, Michelangelo had braces. You know, I'm not sure we've ever seen that before. Where, like, they actually are just living the lives of teenagers without being able to go to school yet. That was like the one thing that was missing. You know what I was like, dang, y'all not in school yet? Um, but they had everything else. They really they had their they had they loved electronics. They loved to watch movies, you know what I, mean? I don't know. It was just really uh, a really cool experience, I think, watching this film. The animation is nuts. One thing I have to add to this, I really what I really love that Spider-Verse did is created a new pocket of shooting for the stars um because you never know what you're going to get when you can you're able i think to make your own feel to a film and i think ninja turtles this movie mutant mayhem does a good job of influence without copying they said we're gonna i love the that very specific style that they have in sonyverse or in spiderverse but we're gonna make our own thing and make it feel fresh and make it feel new some of the lines in this movie are great like the way it's drawn the way some of smoke looks some of the way some of these things look again you can tell it has influence but it's definitely its own flavor and i appreciate the animation in this movie man i think they really did a good job um of what just the way this movie looks like i was almost almost in all pretty much the entire movie like damn y'all really pulled that off because it looks so different but it feels true to what a to what a new york ninja turtles movie is supposed to feel like at the same time i gotta commend them for it man i think they really did a good job of, of again understanding what it means to be to have influence without copying um so i i enjoy that piece as well this movie is funny um a lot most of the story beats work for me man uh shout out to jackie chan again for being master splinter i thought he was pretty funny um shout out to the uh this being able to distinguish the turtles as per usual but adding a little bit more flavor to them still like i feel like they added a little bit more to donatella added a little bit more to leonardo a little bit more to to all of these characters io itabiri as april yes good job i love that april was black here too it just added uh Again, even made the movie even more black than I thought it was. One one thing I'll say about April, it will always be weird to me about this turtle slash April thing they have going on. It will always be the weirdest thing to me. I don't know. This inner species kind of fling crush thing they have will always be um, a, a, a little off. But overall, man, I enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, there's there. I, I really don't have too much to say about it. I will. It's something about these third acts, man. This third. It's not bad. It's, it's actually pretty decent, but there's always something about it. I'm like, dang, 
y'all could didn't bring that home as much as I would have liked. I don't know what it is, but third act is just hard. I think I think it's just really hard to to close a lot of these movies, and I think um, um, some of the stuff there uh, uh, just didn't work completely for me. But overall, I, I had a really good time with this film, and and and, and uh, I think it was a, a pretty fun experience. So as I said earlier the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies have not necessarily been that great for me. And I find it interesting that for a franchise and for an IP that's been so steeped in animation, of course, with its comic roots, and the animation has particularly excelled, I think, by and large for this franchise, they've often leaned into live-action movies. There there are three live-action movies from the early 90s. There's the Mm -hmm. two, I guess, live-action CG blended ones that they did in the mid 2010s that that Paramount brought over the finish line, which are just not the greatest movies ever. They kind of feel like Michael Bay Transformers movies, even though he doesn't direct those films. But the fact that they made the choice to actually go back to animation here, I think was a brilliant one. I think it was a smart Mm -hmm. choice because I always felt that the Ninja Turtles worked better in animation than they ever did in live action. And after watching Mutant Mayhem, this is easily the best Ninja Turtles movie that I think we've ever gotten. It's easily the most sophisticated. It has the best story. It has the best representation of the characters at hand and I think ultimately it represents New York City the best because New York City Mm -hmm. is so integral to these characters and when you have creators behind the camera like Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg and really competent voice actors and directors and filmmakers who really have a love and affinity for these characters and also can inject something new and take different influences from all over all over the cinematic landscape I think you get something that feels really really fresh but still familiar at the same time because you do still get those characters that we've grown up with Raphael Donatello Michelangelo, Leonardo, which, by the way, I've always kind of associated with Raphael the most. He's mm-hmm. he's a little bit brash. He's a little bit aggressive. You know, sometimes he kind of loses his temper. I can relate to that sometimes. But um, ultimately, I think the representation here and actually making this a movie about teenagers is why this yeah. works so well. This is not really something that's about your typical run-of-the-mill heroes versus villains and they all of a sudden have to eliminate whatever threat is at hand. That does come, but they lean more to the fact that these young turtles are trying to find their place in society. They're trying to fit in as they discover this whole new world that's been introduced to them. And then they have a really overprotective parent in Master Splinter who's afraid for the future and afraid of them not being accepted by society. And they have to figure out how to navigate that certain situation. And they're also in New York City, one of the greatest cities in the world. We live here. We know everything that's available to us and how it feels to be young in a city like this. When it's like you can go down the block, you can go on a different corner and you can meet somebody from an entirely different place across the world and get to know them and have a really, really fruitful experience. And that's what they're just trying to do. That's what they're trying to expose themselves to. And when the movie focuses on that, that's when I think it works the absolute best. That's when I think it has the most heart. The characters feel really endearing and really relatable. But when it does get into the more mutant side of things, the more mutant mayhem element of it, because that is the subtitle, that's where it kind of somewhat is a little bit weaker. And I think that that's where the third act, third act of this film that you noted earlier, I think that that's why it kind of falters a little bit because by the third act, it becomes a full-blown mutant spectacle. It's all about the heroes versus the villain, which again, mm-hmm. I agree. It's still fine and it's still enjoyable, but it does lose a little bit of steam as opposed to where we started and where things were by the middle of the movie. But overall, the voice acting is really incredible. There were a lot of funny moments. I love the cultural references. Too often, I think now in, in today's you know sort of pop culture landscape, every movie just references each other. Like everything just kind of talks to each mm-hmm. other. And I think that that's become a bit lazy on the part of writers, but... 
I feel that Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, they're really smart about how they use it and how they deploy it because we also see them reference other things in their other media that they produce, like a joyride or the boys are invincible. But it's the way that they do it that often feels very, just very intelligently done. And I think it's also due to the fact that we know that they're also nerds. We know that they grew up mm-hmm. loving this stuff as well. So anytime that they inject a reference or they talk about something else, they 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 talk they talk about Thanos in this movie. Like when they do that. It never feels like a cheap pop. It kind of feels like it's it's something that's well-earned because these turtles actually feel like they live within our society. Exactly. They don't feel like they live in a faraway world. And so I mm-hmm. think the intent behind it is really, really well done. Outside of that, I love just the representation of New York as well and just like how they depict it with the art style. Clearly the influence of Spider-Verse is here, but they do still manage to do something different. The way that they depict New York here, it's very different than how Spider-Verse depicts it. Spider-Verse mm-hmm. leans into watercolor elements. It feels really romantic and beautiful, but here it's absolutely dirty and grungy and it feels like a throwback to the 90s, like how it probably was like in 90s New York. And I'm sure Seth Rogen can probably attest to what that might have been. I'm sure he visited at that particular point in time, but it kind of feels like it's pulled straight and directly from the 90s. And it reminded me a lot of my childhood. And so all of those things really, really worked for me. I think that this was a super fun time at the movies and it certainly exceeded my expectations. And and as I said, I think it's the best Ninja Turtles movie that we've gotten so far. So I can't wait to see what else they do. But I do want to ask you something because One of the things that has been really interesting to observe really this entire summer, especially within the landscape of superhero films, but really even big budget blockbusters, is kind of the underperformance of movies at the box office. Just things Mm -hmm. have been all over the place. Obviously, Barbie and Oppenheimer just rejuvenated the box office in a really, really massive way that we haven't seen in quite some time. But many other films, especially in the superhero spectrum, have underperformed. That's just like the, 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 the only way to call it at this point. But I think sometimes we forget about the big picture when it relates to these properties, right? Because when you look at the the box office returns of Mutant Mayhem, you see it's grossed a little bit over $100 million. It cost about $75 million to produce. So modest budget, mod- modest returns, but I think enough to justify a future. They've already greenlit, I believe, a TV series. They're planning to work on a sequel. But when you step outside of that and look at the big picture, this is an incredibly lucrative franchise. And Deadline actually yeah. published an article after the movie released and noted that this year alone, Ninja Turtles is approaching $1 billion in retail sales. Not only that, ever since 2013, when the property was acquired by Paramount, it's accumulated more than $8 billion in retail sales. On top of that, they have 400 different licenses that they've launched for this movie. They have retail options and and appearances at more than 25,000 doors across the world. They have activations in 220 markets across the world. So this is a multi-billion dollar franchise, even though the box office doesn't quite say that, even though this movie isn't pulling in the Super Mario Brothers movies numbers. Mm-hmm. On the back end, when you look at the retail, you look at the, the, the merchandise, hell, I'm wearing a t-shirt right now if you're watching on YouTube, <laughs> you can see people buy this stuff. People are very much into the Ninja Turtles franchise. So what are your thoughts about that, that we sort of live in a day and age where I think sometimes we kind of jump the gun and say like, well, why do we have another one of those? Why do we need that? Nobody's really going to go see it. And when you look at the box office numbers, you could probably justify that type of statement. But when you actually peel back and look at the full scope and the full picture, it's like, oh, well, there's no way in the world they wouldn't mine this property and this IP for everything it's worth because it actually is super lucrative. Yeah. In some ways, I think Ninja Turtles is a uh, it's kind of anomaly in that way where I think no matter what happens, it will always be lucrative. No matter what they're doing, it's something about these characters that they've created and something about this world of these characters living in New York that they've created that just 
resonate with people. Not only that, but this is one of the few franchises that literally spans. I mean, you name it, and Ninja Turtles is probably there. Literally, two years ago, last year, early last year, uh, Xbox or Xbox and PlayStation game came out. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Shredder's Revenge. I, I it won like all kind of awards like and it's literally in the game is still has the style of the super nintendo video games this isn't like a new idea people are just like damn this game is good it feels like old school ninja turtles let's play it and again the game did tremendous something about ninja turtles man people really like the action figures i know um a lot of people are still collecting these ninja turtle action it is kind of crazy like you said the shirts still go hard <laughs> ninja turtle shirts are some of the coolest nerd shirts you could buy to be honest a lot of ninja turtle shirts are better than a lot of marvel shirts they gonna be honest like there's something about it <laughs> yeah. they just they just make them better um and it's just one of those franchises that exists like that uh and again it's this is a it's just one of those anomalies even I'm thinking about the way how Barbie works, right? This all happened in the midst of the of, of, of Barbenheimer. Barbie and its toys are about to go nuts. <laughs> a lot of these other superhero properties don't necessarily have the luxury of that, right? Uh, we talk about Ant-Man, Quantumania underperforming. People ain't out here buying no Ant-Man toys. They're not playing the Ant-Man game. They're not, you know what I'm saying? There's no Ant-Man cartoon on TV currently. It, Ant-Man's never really been part of uh, uh, I, I guess the DNA of popular culture of kids growing up, but Ninja Turtles has, and Ninja Turtles I think has the 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 I, th- I guess the legwork you know that's been done to 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 make it uh to get it to this point, and so I think I think of course there's there will always be other things to look at with Ninja Turtles, but this is definitely like an anomaly because. A lot of people can't do it like Ninja Turtles. Just like I feel like a lot of people aren't going to be able, be able to do it like Barbie. You know what I mean? There's something about these specific franchises that are they're allowed to thrive. And I think looking outside and seeing everything that Ninja Turtles has going on is not surprising at all. Um, and 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 I think it is. I think it it we do need to call attention to it more. I think when we do talk about it, oh, what about if the box office didn't do that great? They're going to make another one. Yes. Do you see how many toys they sold? Absolutely absolutely yes <laughs> we they're absolutely gonna make another one because it all it takes is a couple kids <laughs> to go into the movie theater watch these and now there's a new generation of kids who love ninja turtles just as much if you think about it, as much as we love ninja turtles right now now these kids are seeing mutant mayhem which you just called the best ninja turtles movie which i probably do could definitely call the, <laughs> the best ninja turtles movie now you have a new generation of kids who are going to love Ninja Turtles, at least in, hopefully in somewhat the same way, vein that we did with a game that came out last year, a movie that's out right now. It's the same thing as when we were growing up. So I think it's an anomaly, man. I'm not sure. I, and I think people need to recognize it as that and start talking about it across those other rev, uh, streams of revenue um, because that's what it deserves. Yeah, and I think that this movie, I mean, once again, it was only made for $75 million. And I believe with a lot of those other big budget blockbusters that we talk about, They've also underperformed because it costs way too much money. And that's just been a constant conversation Facts. if you pay attention to film Twitter and just like the underperformance of movies like Mission Impossible, Indiana Jones, and Men of the Watch, Quantumania. They cost an exorbitant amount of money, almost an arresting amount of money to where it's nearly impossible to turn a profit. But when you can make something on a small scale for $75 million, you don't have mm-hmm. to make $800 million at the box office to be considered successful. And this is only one part of the machine. I consider that the movies are often the locomotive that pull the rest of the train behind it because they do have all of these other integrations. They do have all of these other partnerships and and sponsorships that they do. And that's what Ninja Turtles as a brand has always excelled at. And I think that that's 
really a credit that has to be provided to Paramount, who have, again, you know, sort of shepherded this franchise for the past nearly 15 years for taking risks and not being afraid to actually not be so precious with Ninja Turtles because there have been a ton of crossover things. You talk about the video game. There's been stuff with Lego. They had a Batman mm-hmm. animated feature film that they did a crossover Thanks. with a couple of years ago. They put them in, in all sorts of different situations and scenarios to allow the most amount of exposure to remind people like, yes, Ninja Turtles still has a presence some shape, sh- somehow, because it's been around for no less than 40 years. But if you quickly go away for maybe five or six years, people kind of forget about you. But you can never really forget about Ninja Turtles because it's everywhere. And so I just have to credit them for really being smart and strategic with how they position this IP to the general audience. And it's certainly reaped the benefits as we see billions and billions billions of dollars in, in retail and merchandise and toys and video games. All of that stuff adds up to the bottom line of why they support this type of property and this type of IP. So I'm in full support of them doing another TV series and another movie. One last thing I want to ask you before we do move on, we, we sort of referenced it earlier in this, in this review, is the influence of Spider-Verse. And we talked a lot about this with the Spider-Verse review we did a couple of months ago and just the profound impact that film has had across Hollywood, especially as it relates to animation. And it finally feels like studios and animators, especially on a, on a big budget mainstream scale, it feels like that they finally have gotten the shot in the arm that I think animation is kind of needed in a while, mm-hmm. especially in the mainstream, because I'll be the first to admit, and I'll be honest about this, that a lot of the mainstream animation that we get from companies like Pixar or Walt Disney Animation, DreamWorks, they just haven't been working for me. It's it's a couple of wins in the midst of a lot of really average, yeah. sometimes even mediocre movies. And mm-hmm. I think that's been the case for at least a few years now. Maybe that's just due to the fact that 3D computer animation has kind of run its course. I don't know. It, it certainly evolved and it's grown and films continue to be exceptionally beautiful. We, we see that all the time, but for some reason they don't hit like they quite used to. But I think the Spider-Verse has done something and has sort of woken everybody up to just showcase the possibilities. And now we can also see it in a movie like this, in a movie like The Mitchells versus The Machines. What would you say to that? What would you say about a movie like Ninja Turtles? Again, not necessarily replicating the style one for one, but clearly taking influence from it, doing something uniquely on its own. And once again, providing us with an experience that kind of feels above average compared to some of the other recent outputs that we've gotten from companies like Pixar or DreamWorks. You know, I think there's there's a couple things. One, I think that overall, the the this landscape of animation has it. Like you said, it, it needed to evolve. Something was wrong. But I think I think companies like Pixar, in a lot of ways, got too comfortable. Right, where a lot of their greatest hits come from the beginning <laughs> right toy story when it first came out a uh, bug's life when it first came out, everybody was like what are these people on and now i think there's a new sense of hunger people have now stepped up to the plate right there's there's just new contenders who are just as hungry as when pixar was when they first came out they they don't only want it to look beautiful but the story got to be right and the story got to be tight in order for people to show up the way they do when i think sony in, in some ways, it's new to the animation game, right? When we talk about animation 10 years ago, nobody was like, oh, man, can't wait for that new Sony movie to come out. No, everybody was like, Disney, Pixar, DreamWorks, right? That was the thing. And so it, 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 it feels like a very similar thing that Sony is going through currently. And now that Paramount is going through with this Ninja Turtles movie where they're like, oh, no, we hungry. And, and I think uh, uh, Spider-Verse has 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Woken, waking some people up in 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 in, the, in that same vein of like, look, y'all, you. It's time. Like it's it's time to do new shit. And I th- and I think the comfortable nature of Pixar of some of these other animation companies have said, okay, but we're still Pixar. You can go do whatever whatever you guys do over there, <laughs> but we're still gonna be Pixar. And I think. They're just approaching it all wrong. If you think about uh, uh, Illumination, what they have going on, these 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 Despicable Me movies are not bad. You know what I mean? They still bring story to them. They still look decent. There's still, I think, enough pizzazz in in enough hunger to to get people to say, "Oh, this is something new and something fresh." But Pixar and some of these other Disney movies have just lost that hunger that they had in some of the earliest stages of their animation careers. Not only that. Um, but I think, I, I, I think the same way that we talk about superhero fatigue, maybe there's 3d fatigue. I don't, I don't know. There's there's mid fatigue shit that just isn't great anymore. It's that's what I think it really is. It's not, it's Mm -hmm. not specific to any genre. Like if the shit ain't great, then people just, they, they, they're not going for it. I think at this point, and that is what it is. And I think it's time to recognize that um and i think because I, I do still think there is there is space for beautiful 3d animation that were like oh that looks pretty good and the story is good and i think that's where a lot of we're just losing stories for the most part because i can sit here and tell you uh, uh what was that movie i seen i forgot it was a disney movie that came out last year but it, it looked good <laughs> but i was like uh other worlds something world what's the name of that dang movie See how forgettable it is already. See it, how forgettable it's, it's it is. Strange World. Yeah. Strange World. Strange World looks good. It has a lot of good ideas, but you just got to bring it home. And I think, again, when when somebody like Sony is like, we have a character like Spider-Man, and we literally can't afford to lose this. You know what I'm saying? Like, they literally can't. That's a different kind of hunger when you feel like you can't afford to lose it versus Disney puts out a movie and they're like, I we'll still be good after this no matter what happens you know what I mean? and 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 i think that 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 changes things and, and now that um you know we've we've come to this place and everything has been reignited again i'm i'm hoping that now pixar and disney are like all right maybe we got to get our shit together it just hasn't necessarily happened yet and that, that's that's really what i'm hoping for and looking for but that that's that's a big part of what it feels like to me is 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 the hunger in some of these other studios just aren't there like they should be yeah, I think to go back to the the you know the comment about mid fatigue, it's it comes off as a joke, but I do think it's legitimate because I, I believe that there are a few different situations that are happening at the very same time right now across multiple genres, across multiple companies. Like, yes, superheroes have been at the forefront for such a long time, superhero motion pictures, and now the conversation is heavily leaning into like, well, is the superhero boom, is the golden age of superhero movies over? But I think alongside that, we also have to still take a look at animation because there have been challenges there. We have to take a look at legacy stars who were stepping back up to the plate to do the sixth or seventh sequel of a movie and look at why things aren't necessarily hitting the same way there. Mm -hmm. I think all of this is happening at the same time. And we we can't forget that the pandemic has a very, very large part to, to, to play in this and the fact that we were conditioned to watch things in a certain way, especially as it relates to specific genres, for at least two years. And, and animation took a significant hit there because you had a company like Disney who sort of trained us to say, well, yeah, you're going to watch Soul on Disney+. Plus. You're going to watch Turning Red on Disney+. Plus. You're going to watch Luke on Disney+. Plus. And mm-hmm. now you expect us to just hop back up and come back to the movies. Well, if the movie isn't great, that's not necessarily going to be the case. I know you and I didn't really enjoy Elemento, Elemental. Um, it, it's doing okay now at the box office. It was more of a long 
play. Mm-hmm. It's not the, the the Super Smash breakout hit that that they've enjoyed in the past, and it's not grossing a billion dollars like a Toy Story or an Incredibles. Right. But it did prove to be somewhat of a modest success for them. But I think still, by and large, the response to that film was divisive at best. You know, I think mm-hmm. it was kind of split down the middle. And so if it's not something that feels great, if, it not, if it's not something that feels like people are going to be somewhat impacted by the story, as you said, which is so important, then I think just the urgency to see these things, it's not quite there as much as it used to be. And, and a company like Pixar and even Walt Disney Animation, at times they can kind of be prisoners to their own success because we'll scream and holler and say like, well, yeah, Pixar, you should be doing original movies, like stop doing the sequels. But then the sequels come out and those are the only ones that are hugely successful. The, the films like Frozen, the films like Incredibles and Toy Story 4 and 5, like we had a whole segment here a few months ago talking about like, well, why do we need Toy Story 5? Well, it's probably because they see that movies like Strange World and Luca and whatever else that they're putting out isn't performing to the degree that it should be performing to. But they mm-hmm. also have to look inward and say, well, what did we do wrong with this film? Why did it not resonate as much as something else? Why did it not permeate the cultural conversation as an original hit as some of our former films did? Because... Incredibles had to be an original film at some point in time. Toy Story had to be an original film. Like they didn't start off as sequels, so you have right. to start somewhere in order to create this franchise that you that you so desperately want as a company. And then you look to the other side of the of the playing field, and you see these other these other animation studios who are really taking big big swings and doing things very very differently and taking chances. And also, I think still embedding a lot of maturity into their stories too, because mm-hmm. unless you are Illumination, which they sometimes I would say have good stories, but they also know how to play very much at the at the kids that they aim for. Yeah, they and do. Keep it, and keep it very general and keep it very non-specific. Mm-hmm. That's really their bread and butter. That's why the Despicable Me movies work so well and Super Mario, you know, Brothers played so well. They can be non-specific and get away with that, but they're also not spending a ton of money on their movies. They're very conservative with their budgets. And so there's a lot of different factors at play. It's a very complex calculation on how to arrive at this and there's really no perfect answer because it just kind of depends on the quality of the film but when you see something like mutant mayhem you see the spider-verse movies or even these other things that hit streaming like guillermo del toro's pinocchio it's like well this feels different this feels new this feels like something i haven't seen before and i think Mm -hmm. you need that i think that that's kind of necessary when it comes to animation because i don't want to say it's limited to what you do because that's the opposite of animation you can literally do anything like you can get as creative as you really want there are no limitations really but I do think that some of these studios have lost that desire to kind of be at the forefront of the mm-hmm. messaging of what they're trying to do to push the medium forward. And now you're getting these 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 smaller studios who don't have as many films in their backlog to say, like, well, we can we can bring something new. We can introduce new ideas and new concepts and new art styles, all that stuff. So it's really kind of a perfect storm of like where things are right now. I'm super excited about the future of it all, but we will certainly have to see. But folks. Those are all of our thoughts on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. If you've checked out this movie, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we're going to transition to review our last film of the week, the brand new horror film from the independent studio A24, Talk to Me. You busy tonight? You want to turn, eh? My mom leaves at nine. So you at ten. Where'd you get it from anyway? Apparently it was the hand of someone who could connect with the dead. I heard it was the hand of a Satanist. And the other hand's just out there. White people shit, man, I tell you. <laughs> Alright, let's do this! You know the drill? Say, talk to me. 
Talk to me. Haley, fucking stop it! He's choking. Oh. Eighty-three seconds. Get it off him. <laughs> What if we open the door, but you didn't shut it? Delete it. Delete it, come on! The spirits, they followed us. Oh, we have to do something. You want to do it again? They're not gonna stop. What was it? What? I don't know! I let you in. I let you in. Oh my god. Now this movie is directed by Danny Philippou and Michael Philippou, and it's written by Danny Philippou and Bill Hinsman, and it's starring Sophie Wilde, Alexandra Jensen, Joe Bird, Otis Donji, Miranda Otto, Zoe Tarakis, Chris Alosio, Marcus Johnson, and Alexandria Stephenson. So Talk to Me has been kind of a buzzy, smaller horror film that's been a part of film conversations for most of the year. It had its it had its debut actually at the Adelaide Film Festival back at the end of last year in October, but it also was shown to some critics at the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year as well, I believe. And so a lot of people had reactions to it when it first had its had its first screenings back then. But also the filmmaking duo behind this, the Philippou brothers, uh, they had their start on YouTube, actually. They were making short films and TV series and different clips on YouTube about 10 or 12 years ago and actually garnered quite a following. Their YouTube has millions of followers, millions of views across different uh, different videos that they've produced, but they've always had a hunger and a desire to get into feature filmmaking, and so they finally had the chance to do that with Talk To Me, which is a fully produced Australian film and a co-production with Causeway Films as well. And they also had one of the uh, filmmakers behind the scenes who worked on The Babadook um, to help produce this movie as well. And so it's very much an Australian type of movie with a lot of Australian flavor and even Australian actors that you might not have heard of. But we got a chance to check out this movie because it released in theaters a few weeks ago and has become sort of a breakout hit. Produced at a very, very small budget, about $4.5 million, and has already grossed, I think, over $47 million right now. So a very, very Mm. successful horror movie. But with all of that out the way, man, I will pass it over to you. What did you think about Talk To Me? So this movie, um, for those who haven't seen the trailer, is about a, a group of friends who they figure out how to somewhat conjure spirits by using an, a, an old embalmed hand and they become addicted to it. Um, it becomes the new party trick. It becomes the you don't go to the to the high school house party to drink and smoke. You go to hold the hand <laughs> and, and conjure these spirits and. Man, oh man, this movie is dark as hell. <laughs> I I knew I knew it would be I think a very somber dark movie, but the the levels in which this movie goes to is it's 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 crazy. It's is almost never any hope <laughs> in this movie to say the least. Um but with that being said, this movie is not just a horror film for the sake of horror. There it actually has a story to tell there's actually something 
behind it. We do live, I think, in the time of just trauma. It is what it is. Um, and, and I think we're bringing a lot of that trauma to our movies, to our music. We're being people are being more open about it. Everybody's going not only going to therapy, but they're using a lot of these projects as their therapy. And in 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 a twenty four, I think is one of the best uh, uh, distribution studios out here because they not only let you pretty much make <laughs> you know what you want. They they won't only distribute some of these lesser talked about uh, uh, stories, but because they're able to, I think, have a brand where they're like, okay, do what you want. There are no holdbacks. There are no, there's no breaks. There's no, we're not going to come back and tell you, you can't do this. You can't do that. And a lot of the horror films, I think, definitely uh, uh, are rewarded because of that, right? Imagine if somebody told um, Ari Aster in Hereditary, oh, spoiler alert, by the way, oh, she can't die. You know what I'm saying? Like, imagine they were like, oh, she can't go out like that. She can't die. Things that are disturbing just work because some of them are realistic. And I think Talk to Me, of course, as spiritual as it may be, has so much realistic trauma in it that 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 exists um that it allows i think the viewer to say damn this is weird but i also understand everything that's happening here and for that it makes a good horror film to me because in in essence a good a good horror movie actually has something in it, it actually has something that people can relate to it actually has politics actually has but now in today's age a good horror film has some good trauma in it and that's what this movie is um the main character has lost her mother at some point in time. And it is really the story of her and how she can, uh, 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 and how she, she both deals with the loss of her mother with whatever the hell's going on at these parties, you know, without giving away too much. And so it is, um, it's pretty enjoyable. The performances, again, I don't know any of these actors and actresses, Sophia Wilde and Alexandra Jensen, Joe, I don't really know them like that, but I think they all did a tremendous job acting across the board. Um, uh, this is just another one of those movies that feel fresh. Um, and again, it, it, it it's because it, it is able, I think, to tell, to give its whole heart to the story for the most part. And it is dark. And so um, I really enjoyed this film, man, to be honest. I don't, I don't really have too much to say. It's not you know, give me wrong, the perfect movie in the world, but man, I like a lot about it. I think the runtime is good. I think some of the scares, which I really like, are perfect because it's not all jumpy. Some of it is quite literal. Literal, you looking at the screen and being like, "Holy shit, what is going on?" Horror, not necessarily. Oh my god, that thing was scary. But this idea is scary. This this crazy thing that's happening on screen is scary. I can't imagine if that was me going through this kind of scary. And and, and for that man, I think Talk to Me is another one of those <laughs> secret hits that we have. I actually can't wait till this comes out on streaming. I think on streaming, this thing is going to go crazy, even as it's doing really good in the box office. You said, how much is it making right now? Uh, 47 million right now. 47 mil on a 4.5 mil budget is nuts. I don't think people understand. This, this movie's making a lot of money. And so I, I'm pretty excited, I think, for the future of horror because they continue to do to do things like this but man shout out to a24 shout out to uh danny filippo and michael filippo for for putting this movie out man but talk to me it's different it's different and it's good and and i really i I really appreciate this so i think you know really horror as a as a genre is really 
it's really notable due to the eras that 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 it sort of operates within. I mean, all genres mm-hmm. have eras that you can sort of point out and say, like, well, that was the era for this genre, or right. this genre particularly leaned into this type of storytelling. And right now we're in the era of grief horror. You know, that that's really dominated horror films for the past decade plus, I would say. I mean, there's so many examples. You mentioned Ari Aster with his works, Hereditary, Midsommar. Luca Guadagnino with the remake of Suspiria, even more recent movies like Bo is Afraid that came out this year, Smile from last year. All of them have elements of grief and traumatic experiences really embedded within their storytelling that sort of drive the narrative propulsion of the story that, that that's at play. I don't, necess- I don't know necessarily where it got its start, but I, I do find it interesting that I would say probably the most notable era that preceded the grief horror era was probably this era of it was it was post 9/11 sort of nihilism where we were getting all of the crazy saw movies, the mm-hmm. hostile movies where they were yep. just incredibly gruesome and gory and just no regard for human life at all. Like your pure enjoyment off of those movies was kind of based off of the fact that you really enjoyed seeing people put to their wits end and dealing with the most heinous circumstances possible. So, it might have been only logical that the very next step in terms of the next era of horror that we were going to live in was much more based on emotion and personal life experiences. I think that that's kind of the natural progression. And so I, I would, I would credit James Wan as sort of being like the nexus point because he was very much a part of that nihilism era, but he kind of shepherded this new era as well. When you think about particularly the insidious movies, I know you just saw the recent mm-hmm. one, which wasn't great, but like that first one relies a lot on grief and trauma and past experiences. Yep. Right. You know? And so mm-hmm. now it's just evolved to this place and talk to me is sort of the latest installment in what I would say is an incredible run for horror movies, especially coming off of last year. And to oh, some yeah. extent this year as well, it's been, a, it's been a pretty solid year. And Talk To Me is no exception. I really, really enjoyed this movie. I had such a great time with it. The characters here are so interesting and so well-developed because what I think works really, really well about Talk To Me, it's not doing entirely new things but it's it's almost the way that it's presented mm-hmm. that feels new because we are focusing on teenagers and we're focusing on this idea that at that particular age as a teenager you feel invincible you feel like nothing can touch you you feel like you can dominate the world and do whatever you want to do i think we've all been there and we've put ourselves in situations that looking back on that it's like i shouldn't have done that i shouldn't have acted that way but the characters here because they are teenagers and they are about to go to college very soon they present themselves as invincible because the very premise of this is allowing yourself to be put in a position to where your life is at risk. You are doing something that you should not be doing. You are allowing demonic forces and possessive forces to literally overtake you for the sake of having fun. And then what's even more disturbing about it, we now live in an era and we have been living in an era where everybody pulls their phones out. Everybody's ready to record Mm -hmm. shit. And one of the key scenes in this movie, without giving anything away, it happens at the beginning of the movie, everybody pulls their phone out. That's what they're more focused on as opposed to the well-being of that person, right? And so it speaks to just kind of the mentality of how we think at that particular age and how we operate and move Mm -hmm. within the world. And I love that that was just such a a pivotal component to this movie. And then you get even deeper into the story, into some of the mythology that they're building here. And they do an incredible job at just sort of world building on a smaller scale at that, but really sort of building out this world and this idea of of this presence and this force that's kind of bigger than any of the main characters at play. And then you take it an even step further, which is the thing that probably surprised me the most is the fact that this movie is gruesome. It is very disturbing. There are some very, very troubling scenes to watch where I was sitting there kind of gripping my seat like, oh, shit, this is really uncomfortable. And this is really Mm -hmm. violent, violence to a degree that I just didn't see coming because a lot of these more recent 
A24 or indie budgeted horror movies, they kind of go for more opaque and ambiguous ideas and themes and imagery. They don't always lean into violence. Some of yeah. them definitely do. Don't get me wrong, like a hereditary, <laughs> but some of them kind of do a little bit more of a more of an ob- ambiguous sort of approach to violence and, and what the implications are. But this doesn't really do that. There are a few key specific scenes that that certainly ratchet up the violence and the blood and the gore to a degree which isn't comfortable to watch. It's not Evil Dead. You know, Evil Dead knows what it is. It, it's campy to an extent when it when it introduces buckets and gallons and gallons of blood. This doesn't do that. This is very realistic in its presentation, and it presents a really, really troubling story. And I think that that sense of dread that existed all throughout this movie was always present from the very opening scene, which is a shocker. You feel the sense of dread that's just slowly but surely approaching our main characters, and and you sit by and you're sitting on the edge of your seat waiting to see how it's ultimately resolved. And so this was a very tense experience. I think the sound design was also incredible because, as you noted, the use and the lack thereof of jump scares is really brilliant. The way that they deploy them so succinctly and expertly throughout the movie it's very conservative compared to a lot of other movies but they do it in such a smart way versus just like moments where you're just tense because you don't know what's going to happen next i think all of that stuff built to a great great crescendo with the finale and ultimately it really worked for me and then the final scene was just like it takes your breath away it's like oh my god this is wild and this makes so much sense and it really brings Mm -hmm. it full circle and and what I'm really excited to see is that A24 and they 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 know what they have on their hands. They've already greenlit a sequel. The directors are already working on it. And when you watch this movie, you can kind of tell where it might go. Like they yeah. they have a natural next pathway for what the sequel mm-hmm. could or could not be. And so it could be that following our main characters here, or it could be examining some other characters. So there's all sorts of possibilities at play. Just one quick follow up. I want to ask you. I asked you this earlier this year. Is this the best horror movie of the year? We've gotten some we've gotten some hits so far. We've gotten The Evil Dead Rise. We've gotten Scream 6. We've gotten Boa's Afraid and Ooh. Megan and Knock at the Cabin. There have been some good ones. There have also been some smaller indie movies that have come out, even some of the, the more comedic takes like The Blackening. I mean, there, there's all sorts of horror movies that have dropped this mm-hmm. year, but where would this rank for, for you in terms of the horror films that we've seen in 2023? Man, it's hard because uh, there's some some bangers in here, man. I really like Scream. I also really, really, really um, like Evil Dead Rise, man. Um, right now, because I, to be honest, I want to watch some of these back to back spooky season. I need I need one more pass at like, okay, which one of these is the king? Um, but to be honest, right now, top three is probably Evil Dead Rise, Scream. And this, and talk to me, is probably my top three. Right now, I'm probably putting Evil Dead Rise at the top. I think that movie was just a lot of fucking fun. <laughs> I think they were having a ball with that film. So I think right now, it's my favorite of the year. And there's uh, some, some, a lot more to watch, too, this year, actually. it's a lot of horror films. Actually, we still have to watch. But for right now, I'm going to go with Evil Dead Rise. And I'm going to put Talk to Me in my second spot. I liked it a lot. So, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to see uh, porn rewatches and porn some of these other movies that come out. But for now, it's probably like my second horror film of the year. You know, I think I think that this might be my favorite so far of the year. And I, I only say that because Evil Dead Rises, it, it's it's amazing. It is fucking balls to the wall. Just the most <laughs> ridiculous. Like you think you've seen Evil Dead and then they take Evil Dead and just like inject it with steroids. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a really crazy movie. But I think the reason I would say Talk to Me might have taken my place as, as the favorite of the year is just because it does feel new and different. Like going into Evil Dead, I knew what we were going to get. That's not to say that it didn't surprise me because it absolutely Mm -hmm. did. There were there were things that happened in that movie that I did not see coming. But 
it's a franchise. It is like the the fourth or fifth or sixth installment in a franchise. You know you're going to get over the top gore and blood and violence and demonic possessions, and it's going to just be some of the most shocking imagery that you've seen. But again, it's almost campy to a certain extent, which is great. I love that about Evil Dead, and that's what it excels at. But this one, it just had me really on the edge of my seat, and it, and it did so many things that I didn't expect. And I just loved, again, the way that it ended was really kind of a shocker for me but Same. there is a lot that still has to come out this year and there are things that we have to have to catch up with and so it's been it's been another i think really successful year for horror once again it's still i think in in, in contrast to our conversation that we're having about these other genres like superhero films or animated films horror continues to be extremely reliable we yeah. see the successes they produce these films on these very very small budgets and enough people go see them and have a great time and it's one of those few genres that having that communal experience in the movie theater actually aids in the performance and the perception of the film. We just naturally have a great, a better time at watching the movie. I couldn't Im imagine watching Evil Dead Rise not in the movie theater or Scream 6, like not experiencing Ooh, sure. that with the community of people. It, it, it's such an important piece of it. So we will certainly have to see. But folks, those are all of our thoughts on the brand new A24 horror film, Talk To Me. If you've checked out this movie, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And with that being said, we are officially done with all of our reviews for this week. And so we are actually going to switch gears and toss it over to an interview that we just recently did with the writer and producer of the Boondocks and also the creator of the Black Dynamite TV series, the one and only Carl Jones himself. Go check that out right now. All right. We are here with Carl Jones, who is an acclaimed writer, producer, director and voice actor in the entertainment and animation industries. He is best known for his work on award-winning projects such as The Boondocks and Black Dynamite. And he also recently founded the multimedia production company Martian Blueberry, which is dedicated to diversity and inclusion in the entertainment marketplace, as well as crafting ideas that push traditional boundaries and challenges the entertainment status quo. The studio's portfolio spans a wide array of media forms from partnerships with major networks and NFT companies to visual effects, 2D, and 3D animation services. The company has also produced work for notable names and organizations like Megan Thee Stallion and Major League Baseball, and it continues to create its own path as an entertainment powerhouse. Carl, welcome to Two Black Nerds. We're super excited to have you on today. How you doing today, man? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, this should be a really, really exciting conversation. And I know we definitely um, have a lot that we want to get to. So we'll dive right in. But before we do, we want to start off with a little bit of an icebreaker question, you know, kind of switch it up, do something a little bit different. Uh, so the first question I'm actually ask you before we, you know, dive into Martian Blueberry and some of your other legacy projects. What animated movie would you say would have benefited the most from having an all black cast? This can be any animated movie in history, but historically, you know, we can look at a lot of animated movies and see that they don't really have many black characters. So which what would you say is the one that would have benefited most from from having an all black cast? Wow, it's a good question. Um, Prince of Egypt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, that sticks it out. Is set in Africa. <laughs> You know, I think it could have benefited having an all black cast, but also black characters on the screen, too. You know, they were, really little, they, they were a little, they were maybe a little, they were tan or khaki, <laughs> but, you know, khaki. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Now, I, I remember growing up and watching that and, and it didn't really strike me until like I got to a certain age. I'm like. Oh yeah, we should have like a lot more black characters here. Like you said, they 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 get the tan, you know, the brownish color. So we're yeah. we're leaning to it, but there the, there was room. There was room there for sure. But that that that's a yeah, like that's sand. a good one. 
It's a light scare. Um, <laughs> Dez, what would you say, man? Um, wow. <laughs> what would I say? Yeah. Man, that's still a hard question. Um, I would I would go with something ridiculous, man. That something that's like, what would that look like with black characters? I don't know, like like Pixar's a bug's life. <laughs> what it would be like with all black cast, like being in those weird situations with like the grasshopper and stuff. What it would what it would feel like with an all black cast would be crazy. Yeah, for sure. I'm interested in that because there there will probably be some uh some some racial implications in that one too. Um, social mm-hmm. class structures. The one I came up with was uh it was cars. I wanted to see like an all black cars, like focusing on cars, like really tied to black culture. Like those are non human characters, uh, which you know is already like its own thing. But I wanted to see like a version with like a hoopty or a Cadillac or like a Toyota Camry or something like that. You, you know, wanted a, you wanted an animated Fast and the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Make it about family, you know, lean into that idea, you know, so that could have been that could have been something interesting. But um, yeah, appreciate you answering that. We just wanted to, you know, kind of start start off to get the wheels turning. But um, yeah, we're, we're going to dive into, you know, kind of a few things in terms of like what you're doing now, and what you've done in the past, um, you know, outside of that. So um, Des, you want to, you know, sort of kick it off and then we can just kind of yeah. go from there. Yeah. As a, as a very, I think, general opening question um as a man who has been in the animation industry for a while at this point what inspired you to pursue uh i guess your career in animation i know you know you used to draw and things like that but was there a particular you know show or style of animation that like i think really ignited your passion for it or you know to where you figured out that's something you wanted to do um and you know what what motivated you to be like yeah, I could do this a lot. <laughs> I could do this on a grander scale for, you know, multiple years of your life. You know, I, I think I think storytelling in general just really um, spoke to me, right? Just because even at an early age, not even truly understanding the full power and potential of story, I felt it, you know, it was transformative. You know what I'm saying? Like my first, the the I guess the most the most monumental experience that I could remember would be seeing Star Wars in the movie theater for the first time, right? Giving away my age. But it was it was so mind-blowing, right? Just seeing this world that that George Lucas created from scratch, right? Where like there's spaceships flying everywhere and stuff exploding and stormtroopers and lightsabers and you know what I mean, X-Wing fighters and time. Like this shit was just, it blew my mind. You know, and just the fact that you can imagine a world and actually create it and put it on screen and make people feel what I felt watching it, that inspired me to want to be a storyteller. I didn't know what kind of storyteller or, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know. I just I just knew I wanted to make people feel the same way that I felt watching that, you know. And then on the on the animation side, I just always been a big cartoon junkie. You know what I'm saying? So, like. I grew up, you know, watching a lot of Chuck Jones stuff, you know what I mean? Like watching Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner, a lot of the Warner Brothers stuff. Um, big Hanna-Barbera fan. So I grew up with the Flintstones and the Jetsons and 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 it, but it but it did it, the thing that did kind of stri- strike me as a little strange when I was a kid was watching this Flintstones and watching the Jetsons. It became apparent that why, they thought that black people weren't in the future or the past. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. And I thought that was was really kind of it. Just it was it was one of those things I made a mental note of as a kid. 
Um, and I think over the years, you know, I did feel like I wasn't seeing myself represented. And as I got older, I then began to think about how I could maybe do this as a career and make a change, you know? Absolutely. I, I'm really, you know, interested to to know about that that sort of evolution to to where you are now, because I saw that like with the company with Martian Blueberry that that started just a few years ago while while the pandemic was happening. How do you get to the place where, you know, you're starting off in the industry, you're working, you know, you're really making a name for yourself to ultimately say, like, I actually want to have my own company and I want I want to be the the force behind this that's really sort of steering the ship. Because I imagine that, you know, you have to have a lot of years of experience and just different different exposure to to the knowledge of the industry and how things work. So how did you reach that place? Did you always know you wanted to to eventually have your own company or was this something that was kind of birthed as you as you grew within the industry? Um, I don't know. I always had an entrepreneurial spirit, I guess. You know what I mean? Because even before I got into the animation industry, you know, I was <laughs> I was kind of, I was selling bootleg movies and DVDs and stuff like that. Like I was always. You know, at one point I was selling incense and oils on the street. Like I was I was going through going in barbershops, like like drawing pictures of people. You know, what I mean, I was doing caricatures and like I so I always had like an entrepreneurial kind of mindset or hustle. Um, but as far as starting Martian Blueberry, then that came about that came about also because I saw a need. Right. Like. Mm. What, you know, because I've been in the game for like 18 years, bro. So in the beginning, when, it, when when we were doing boondocks, there was always a problem communicating the culture to the artists, right? And that's domestic artists in Korea, Japan, no matter where we go. There was still, you know, because the boondocks was kind of like a subculture. You know what I'm saying? It was like, there's like black culture. And then there's like, what we were doing was like a little bit of a deeper dive into a very specific tribe of people that resonated with that kind of thing, right? It's kind of like what, what Chappelle was doing. It spoke, it was very culturally specific, right? And there was never, there just was never like a, a shorthand language between us and the artist. So a lot of times what I would have to do is act out entire scripts. Like I would literally, every every Thugnificence, you know, pimp name, slick back, movement and gesture that you saw in the show, that was because I acted out acted it out on camera and we sent it to the artist, or we passed it to the artist for reference. Um, and so over the years, working with various different studios from all over the place, I realized there's just not a lot of us in these studios. You know what I mean? And especially in Hollywood, because a lot of the artists are coming out of Cal Arts, and they have a small percentage of Black artists that are coming out of Cal Arts that can that even you know afforded the opportunity to go to a Cal Arts. So you know, so you see this trickle down effect where. There's just not a lot of representation. So um, so during the pandemic, right, animation kind of animation, we got really busy doing a lot of animation because all the studio productions were shut down. So you don't think about you know, on the commercial side of things, you know, how that's affected too. Well, at least I didn't until my phone started ringing, you know, but it's like, you know, there was no one, no one could shoot anything. So we launched it at the beginning of the pandemic. And so we were doing a bunch of commercial work. But at the same time, the George Floyd situation happened. Right. And unfortunately, that was a moment where Hollywood was like, oh, these stories do need to be told. And we do want to be inclusive. And, and it was like this Hollywood reparations that was happening. But we know it was all because they were trying to be on the right side of the of the of the fight. Right. 
Um, but that, needless to say, that still opened up a lot of windows of opportunity. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it was actually a good time to launch the company. And I think it's expanded since then because we started out as just like a full service animation studio. But then it's now expanded into a um, multi-vertical creative agency. So we're not only just providing animation services, we're also creating original IP and we're, explore we're exploring many different verticals outside of the Hollywood construct. So we're doing collectible toys, we're doing books, graphic novels, comics, um, fashion lines, um, NFTs and Web3, which is a big part of what we're, what we're building. And um, yeah, so, you know, yeah, no, that I think that all makes a, a, a ton of sense. And even I think in that same vein, I do have a question where, you know, you were talking about outside of Hollywood, which is where I think you you, you seem to um, that seems to be where you want Martian Blueberry, I think, to to operate. Right. Kind of a little bit outside of that Hollywood feel and gaze in terms of the things that they have <laughs> to get done. And I think a lot of consumerism today is about the numbers. Right. A lot of companies are susceptible to make something driven by the numbers and by the stats versus like just original stories. Um, and I think Martian Blueberry is trying to be more authentic in that way where you tell black stories first, you know, and, and at a high level and, and to where it's it's so good. People got to mess with it. <laughs> right. No, so I, I love hearing you say that because, yeah, you, you know, man, I, honestly, and I, I've, I've done like over, even over the past, like for this, like this year, I've done a bunch of interviews. Right. And that's always something I try to speak on, but I've never heard anyone that's interviewing me actually bring that up, <laughs> you know? So I, I appreciate you even acknowledging that because we are moving into this era where everything is being driven by analytics, numbers, and metrics, right? Um, but you couldn't use those analytics, numbers, and metrics to determine whether or not Star Wars needed to be made or, or Shit. I mean, E.T., uh, um, the boondocks, any of the stuff that that like the stuff that actually made a real impact was because the creatives behind it had a real passion for telling those stories and creating those worlds. And they connected with people on an emotional level. And that's not going to always you're not going to always see that on paper. You're just not. You know what I'm saying? I mean, look, Aqua Teen Hunger Force was a huge show for adults. Right. Right. There's no way in hell you could pitch that show to any other network and they would understand it. Like if you, if you, if, I, I can't imagine you going into Fox and saying this is a show about a meat wad and a, <laughs> a, a milkshake and a Some box fries. of fries that live next door to a dude named Carl. Like you, how do you pitch that? So no one, no one. But you know, Adult Swim was one of those places where, you know, Mike Lazo, who was the head of Adult Swim at the time, you know, um, he since retired, but. He was a he was a real visionary in terms of like seeing how this company could be a creator creator driven company and actually reach a very specific demographic and not have to compromise the integrity of the artist or go really broad with the content because usually people think in terms of like oh we got to reach a huge market so let's so everything has to be not offensive and understood by all and you gotta you know so they go really broad with the characters and the stories and a lot of times you trying to reach everybody causes you not to reach anybody you know and he was one of the very few executives that truly believed in supporting creators and we were spoiled by that because 
they gave us so much room to do so much stuff. And and that's only because he really was like, fuck the numbers and all of this shit. I believe in this and I believe in you. And they gave us an opportunity to to, to explore, you know? By by that same vein, do you think there are challenges in not going by the numbers, you know what I mean? In that authentic way, in that just telling our story first and then, you know, continuing with the project. Do you think there's challenges in the, of I course. Guess the, the inverse? Yeah, the, I mean, there's challenges, but I mean, anything that's worth anything is going to have its challenges. If it's too easy, you should be careful because it's probably not going to have the impact that you're looking for. I mean, think about shows like South Park, right? Like South Park is is extremely polarized, right? So there's people that really hate it and there's people that really love it. But that's the only way it would have reached the level of success that it that it reached, you know? And you know what I mean? So like, I, I just think we can't be afraid to fuck up. You know what I'm saying? Because that's the only way you, we have to experiment in order to find, uh, you know, a new way to do shit. At one time, everybody was shooting basketball like this. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yep. so somebody had to be like, yo, how would it be if we put it up here? You know? <laughs> and then that became the thing, right? So, like, at some point, we gotta just be a, we just gotta be brave enough to take risks and experiment and just do some new shit. And it might not work, but at least you tried, you know what I'm saying? And 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 if it didn't, it didn't. So who cares? Like you. Go back to the drawing board and try something else, you know. Mm -hmm. But but I think when we start trying to be too cautious about, you know, not, you know, reaching these target demographics and numbers and 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 and, and making sure that that you 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 know that you hit all these because that and that's the other thing is like a lot of these studios and networks, you know, they all have these the these numbers that they got to hit. So the best way to minimize their risk is to use numbers from pre-existing projects like it but then when you do that you never really can truly create the fertile ground that you need to grow something new you, you know what i'm saying you just you, that's why they keep microwaving old shit that's why you see all of these old tv shows and movies being revamped because there's less risk and they're making they're spending less money now because they that's a whole nother thing but but yeah you know, I, I, I'm I'm really glad you said that, too, because I think at least from from a fan's perspective of watching certain franchises, companies, whatever it may be, in addition to always leaning on analytics and numbers, it also feels like some of them are a little too precious and protective of those brands, which kind of prohibits their growth. You, you talk about Star Wars, and I think Star Wars current day has a, a fair share of problems, and a lot of it feels like that they're too protective of the identity of it which prevents it from growing. There have been some exceptions that I like, but I, I think that that's been a, a constant problem. So I'm really interested about that relationship that you all had with with a, with a network like Adult Swim that allowed you that creative leeway. Um, you mentioned that there was just opportunities to just say, fuck it, we're going to do what we do and, and ignore the numbers. But how many times and how many situations did, did it become apparent that you might have been like going too far? Or were you ever cautious of that? Were you ever mindful that like, OK, maybe we might be going a little bit too hard and we might be losing, you know, some of our audience and, and, and causing a little bit too much controversy. Now, that's a good question. Um, I mean, there were times where. I don't know that we ever internally thought that we went too far across the line, like, you know what I mean? But whenever, you know, like if we get an episode pulled or, or you know, taken off the air 
or or it doesn't make it to air because you know it was like the BT episode didn't mm-hmm. even make it to air and the, you know in the and in Paul the Paul's episode we did for Boondocks you know that one got pulled right after the first <clears throat> first night that it aired so we don't really know we crossed the line until somebody says hey you fucked up or hey the show is not we're not we're not going to air it I, I I think I don't know man like we we you know we. I feel like because a lot of us were, were were new to the television world, like speaking, you know, mainly in regards to like like myself, you know, Aaron Magruder, um, Yamar Taylor, you know, she had, and she had done like a few things before the Boondocks, but nothing really, you know, that that big. Um, and even some of the artists that we hired, you know, we, and we just had like a team of people. I think that was just not knowing what we shouldn't do or or couldn't do opened up doors for us to do things that most people weren't doing. And, and it just so happened that, you know, I mean, Fox had turned down the show initially, which is, I think the best thing that could have happened to it. Cause it just wasn't the right fit. Right. But adult swim was just happened to be that place where, you know what I mean? Like they just, they let you do what you, what you want to do. Now they did pull us back. Like when we did the pause episode, um, because originally the Winston Jerome character was named Tyler Perry and he looked just like Tyler Perry. And um they were like, no, you can't do that. And, th- and it's very rare that they do that, but they were like, yo, you you can't, right? So then we changed it so he didn't look like him. And then we found out Tyler Perry's real name and we tried to sneak that in there. And then it got through for like a, a, a couple of weeks, and then adults went caught it. And they were like, What are y'all doing, man? Like let's stop fucking around, like for real. Like, don't do anything, you know, don't use his real name. So then we, so we, 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 we called him Winston Jerome and then we, you know, we changed around some things and we thought we were safe. We thought it was just a little bit more parody, but, <laughs> you know, um, cause we, we had got some inside information from Gary Anthony Williams, who played Uncle Ruckus, uh, cause he auditioned mm-hmm. for a Tyler Perry movie and he actually made it to the second audition. And um, and he was told that like once you make it to that second audition, you pretty much in there. But he wasn't. He got cut from the film. And and he thought it was because when he was in that prayer circle, because they had a prayer circle, um, that he wasn't really involved in the prayer. Like he was like looking around, checking out who was, you know, who was in there, he's looking at different people. And he got the inclination from someone else that maybe he was filming those prayer circles. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why we put it in the show like that. And I think maybe we it was too close to home. Like there were certain things in there that he might have thought like he had like a leak or a mole or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um so so like that, but that was an example of where, you know, the politics involved with that being Tyler Perry and 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 by the way, I got love for Tyler Perry just as mm-hmm. a like as a businessman and what he's done for the culture, you know what I'm saying? But you know. We was young, you know what I mean? Like we was just we were looking, we were we were going, we were going for the joke, you know what I mean? And um and and he at the time, you know, he had a bunch of shows on TBS and TBS was the parent company, or, or Turner was the parent company of Adult Swim. So he had way more pull than we did, you know what I mean? So it was like they're not gonna sacrifice their relationship with Tyler for us. And that's and so we, you know, but that that but that isn't it, it doesn't happen often, man. And like we we try not to think about that because if you, it's kind of like it's, it, it, in my opinion, it's like creating creating in a vacuum. Like you, you can't really, 
you know what I'm saying? You can't do something that's gonna that you this is gonna be subversive or you know what I mean, or 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 anything I think that's good or that I would consider art. You can't do it thinking about filtering it through the lens of everyone else and people who will be offended and all that stuff is just gonna compromise the art. You you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of gotta go for it. <laughs> you just gotta go yeah. for it and see what happens. Um, random question: Do you watch Atlanta? <laughs> I do. I have you seen it. the Have you seen the the Mr. Chocolate episode of Atlanta? Yeah, I I, I have to yeah. ask now, Dylan. Now knowing with Tyler Perry in that episode of the Boondocks, how did you feel about the Mr. Chocolate episode of Atlanta? I have to I, ask. man. I, I well, I, first of all, I think the whole series is just genius. Like mm-hmm. Donald Glover is is like he's just brilliant, bro. Like I mean, it's definitely some shit like we would have did. You know, you mm-hmm. know what I mean. Like yeah. it's so it was sometimes I would see stuff he would do, and I'm like. Man, we would have did that on Black Dynamite and the stuff I see. Where I'm like, we would have did that on Boondocks, you know. And, and I don't know. Hopefully, he, we inspired some of it, or you know what I mean. I don't know if we did, but I know. I know one time he um, he tweeted something about Black Dynamite. It was it was a, right right after one of the episode aired episodes aired. He um, he tweeted about it, which that, that was like the the highlight. That was that was a highlight of my one of the highlights of my career because I because I look up to him and so and I respect what he does or you know on a high level but um but yeah man that that shit was amazing that's just amazing like and you know and that's the thing man when you if you do it the right way because if it's smart enough right like if you and, and he had like a really smart angle I think like if you do it the right way and 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 also his his like his show is is really artsy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, especially the second and third season, you know, that's when they really started breaking rules and, mm-hmm. and doing stuff that's a little bit more avant-garde and like, like you didn't really know what to expect. It was a lot of surrealism and shit. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and you, you see more of that now, you know, like with um like Swarm and um what's the 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 movie, the series with the the, the kid that's like really big and shit. Oh, like, I'm a Virgo. I'm a Virgo. Yeah, like mm-hmm. like you see that kind of you see that kind of stuff. Now, even Sorry to Bother You, you know, mm-hmm. um, that was another film that kind of took might have went off the rails a little bit, but like, but the but the fact that like you can you can do that kind of shit now with like with with black TV and film like that, that's always really inspiring to me, you know. Yeah, it it was it was such a pleasure like watching Atlanta when it was airing, like especially those most recent seasons, like literally not knowing what to expect on a week to week basis. I think after the second or third episode, I'm like, oh, this isn't this isn't like what we just saw, you know, a few years ago. Like they came back with a completely different energy. Um, So I definitely agree. And, and you know, to to sort of add on to what's being said about the influence of the boondocks. I mean, one of the big conversations I, I know you're privy to it is just like the predictive nature of the show, like how many how many subjects you all tackled have have come to pass. And I know you see a lot of that stuff on social media. And it, but, you know, what I think is interesting is that it extends past the boondocks, at least from my opinion. I, you know, I even think about what you did with Sugar and Toys. I watched an episode recently where you had the appropriation Annie segment, which is very much oh, leaning into wow. the Barbie stuff. And now with like Barbie being at the top of like, pop culture conversations right now and that movie's i think a part of that movie the the reason it's so successful is because it is being a little bit more sophisticated about barbie's place in society and just some of the problematic stuff behind it but you were doing that years ago and you were much more i think abrasive and biting with the commentary but it's like it's already there you know you're talking about all the stuff the the indian barbie the native american stuff and it was it's hilarious but it's done so in a really smart way 
So I, did, I you know, I forgot all about that. It's crazy. That that's you're right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I, I, I'm just I'm just curious. Like, you know, it, has this always been? I don't I don't know how do you how do you arrive to that? Just like there have been so many instances where you are ahead of the curve and these things really do come back five, 10 years later, whether it's with the boondocks or you see it in other influences on on Atlanta with different creators like Donald Glover or even just like recently Drake, you know, that stuff with the Thugnificent. I mean, like, how do, how do, how does that make you feel just like in hindsight with the work that you all did? But as you're like creating, you know, all of these different these different stories and these different characters, I mean, do you ever imagine that it'll go as far as it as it, as it's proven, you know, over the past few years? No, nah, I, I mean, well, for one, it's really, um, I mean, it's amazing to see that, like, we're still relevant. You, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that, that the stuff still plays today and that people are still, you know, like I, I'll be on TikTok and I'll just like hear my voice coming <laughs> out of, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, it's crazy to me, you know, just to, just to think that we had that kind of impact because it's not like it was planned, you, you know what I mean? And, and. I, I feel like a lot of it is kind of um, serendipitous, I guess, if you want to call it like, I don't know, man. I, I feel like it's, it just, I just think when you do stuff, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe creative people are somewhat, or writers are, are somewhat tapped into some kind of, you know, zeitgeist and you know what i mean that where you kind of be where you can see things before they have I, I don't know but i do i just i just think a lot of times we just try to tell stories that come from like a real honest place or the truthful place and i think because it because it's coming from a very very truthful place it probably if it doesn't exist it's short it will soon mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying it's yeah. like it's like mm -hmm. because it's so close to what either should be reality or is actually happening, I, and and sometimes it's it's kind of scary, man. Like like we did a um a episode of Legends of Chamberlain Heights, um for Comedy Central, and I remember we had this. So the the, the episode was basically about the, the internet broke and basically the, the whole world went to hell, right? So it was like it was an apocalypse just because the internet was down for like ten minutes or some shit like that. But it was like chaotic. It was it, right, and there was a scene that we that we wrote where Kobe Bryant was his he was in his helicopter and it crashed right and so he was like crawling out the helicopter with with two um trophies in his arm and somebody was like they were they were going to help him they were like Kobe pass the trophies and he was like pass like like what is that you know and then mm. and, and, and then the helicopter blew up right mm. and um you know didn't think nothing of it but of course like you know when the, when the incident happened it was like all over the, the media and stuff. And um, and that felt weird. You know what I'm saying? Um, because you definitely would hate to think that in any way you can you contributed to something like that. Cause that's definitely, you know, you know what I'm saying? But I do feel like that in a strange way, sometimes those things end up just lining up and being similar. I don't know, but it's I'm baffled too. Like I sometimes I, I see this shit, like the Popeye shit, like I was like, wow. Like yo, <laughs> like yo, we just we did that. <laughs> no, yeah, that's real. Especially the I was just thinking about the Popeyes one when when Jordan asked a question. I was like, that Popeyes, <laughs> it yeah. got our people, man. It got our people, um, man. Now I'm just now thinking about, it, but thinking about the Popeyes episode. I'm gonna ask you if you've seen something else. Have you seen they clone Tyrone? Yes. What did yes. you What did you feel about that project as well? 
Man, well, first of all, you know, Stephen Love, who produced They Clone Tyrone, he's a part of Martian Blueberry, you know what I'm saying? And um, we, so we, we're friends and, you know, we got other stuff that we're developing together. But like, that shit was amazing, bro. Like, I I, I went to see the um, premiere and it, it's, I'm, I'm just telling you, man, like, it's, like, I love that we're just in this era of time where we can tell these kind of stories without, you know, without people front and center, you know, like we can, we can take things into a, a more surreal place, a magical place, you know, parallel world kind of place. Cause like, e even, even where that, that film was set was a little unclear, right? It was like, mm -hmm. is, is it in the past? Is it, you know what I'm saying? It was just kind of like an alternate reality. And you typically don't see that with, with, with our story. So like that, that was really inspiring. It, it was, it felt, it felt like uh, something we would have did with Black Dynamite for sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, and, and you know, I, I saw some of the, um, there was some negative feedback about like, you know, the commentary, maybe, you know, someone feeling like the commentary was, oh, it, was, it might've been old or someone or stuff that we've already known. But I'm like, Y'all niggas still eat there, so hey, you know what I'm saying? So maybe, <laughs> mm -hmm. maybe we need to keep driving this point home. Yeah, you know. Um, but I, I thought it was really smart, man. Jamie was fucking hilarious, like incredible. Oh my god, he killed that character, yo. I mean, and and it was just dope, man. Uh, um, what uh, my man, um, um, John Boyega, dude. I mean, yeah, like he's I mean. Mm -hmm. He's a goat. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of his from um, way back when he did uh, Attack the Block. Attack the Block, yes, sir. Bro, the Attack the Block was my mm. shit. Still I, underrated. I just want to do something animated with that. That would be fire. We 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 need to see that. We need to definitely see that. That would be really really incredible. Uh, I'm curious too, like with, with with thinking about that, like just the nature of like these stories that we are seeing, the fact that. I, I I totally agree. We we've never necessarily been allowed to be sort of like fantastical, like as black characters and exist in these different worlds and universes and like really just extend beyond the things that personally affect us or have personally affect us. Now we are leaning more into I think just the imagination, you know, that we have that we can craft and tell in these stories. Like, have you seen other things? Because I, th I think at the at the time you were entering the industry, there just what there was no voice really for for black animation and and what that looks like. But now we do see some of the shifts starting to to to, to turn in in favor of black animation. Um, the Spider Verse movies have been really big. Uh, the 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 intergalactic movie from Kid Cudi. Um, I know you work with him on the on the upcoming Young Love series. I mean, what what are your thoughts just about like? the expanding palette because it's also like a, a diverse range of stories it's not just like oh these regular characters live in their everyday life some of them are taking like these really big creative swings creating new worlds creating mythology even and just you know really trying to extend beyond the normal palette that we're used to yeah i mean i, I think it's dope you know i i, I spider-verse first of all uh oh my god like <laughs> that I, I yo i left that movie theater thinking to myself I gotta step my game up. <laughs> like that shit was crazy. Yo, that that scene, the chase scene with all the different spider mm -hmm. Spider-Man, like I mean, I can't like that shit was so comp. I I mean, bro, especially, you know, for some for someone like on the others on the production side of it, right? Like understanding it from from a creative and production side, like 
they put off some, that was some, I ain't never seen nothing like that in my life, you know? And, and, and that's what I call pushing the boundaries because even the medium that they're using is so, is so weird and different. And like, you know, like the characters are, the textures are changing and the, the colors in the scene are changing based off of the character's mood and, and, and the, the emotion of the scene. And then they're using like, you know, like these, these, um, um, like sharp, like like shapes sometimes in the background just to indicate that the characters, you know, angry or upset. Like 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 all of that kind of like abstract storytelling that's happening on a visual level. Like that is just game changing. Like I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it executed at that level mm-hmm. before. You know, and then with us, you know, what I mean, like that's you know, what majority. You know, I mean, we're at the center of the story at least. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. Um, I think, you know, uh, uh, in that same, I mean, Miles Morales being a black character is great, especially having a movie like that is crazy. Um, But as somebody who works, you know, with a lot of black characters, of course, growing up black, we didn't have a lot of animated characters to identify with at all. (laughs) And if we did, the token black kid was they always look the same like vince yeah. from recess uh uh yeah. gerald from hey arnold they all yeah. were like b- sports stuff with the same curly mini fro yeah. kind of type thing you know what i'm saying and now the power of creation is kind of in your hands right with martian blueberry it has been for a while too even before then right too with the buddha even i remember first i seen huey i was like hmm okay Aaron magruder okay carl jones let's see what we're doing here i haven't seen the huey before he's actually my it's actually my profile character on Max right now, which is funny. Oh, nice. uh, but like, how do you approach, I think, the representation of black characters that we have yet to see? You know, because we we are real time as black people are still trying to tell our stories. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the normal yeah. everyday story on one hand. And on the other hand, we still haven't got to tell our fantastical stuff, you know, that Jordan was just asking you about. So like how I think in your mind do you say okay let's let's talk about this kid because in my mind with every new project it's like okay now who can we represent now who's the next character that we can tell this story that hasn't been told before how do do you approach that well i I always start with um something i want to say you know like either something i want to say or or yeah or story or story that i want to tell but but sometimes that is driven just well not sometimes it's 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 all it's going to be it's going to come from a place of like passion more so than it is the actual need for it right um now to satisfy both is 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 great you know what i'm saying if you, you know if you can fill a void and also be passionate about the story you're telling but front and center it's got to be like something i'm passionate about right but that being said the real challenge or at least what 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 I like to try to inspire us or encourage us as storytellers to do is to go outside of to to venture into some other cultures that exist within our spectrum, right? Because like, bro, in Ghana they have a they have a folklore board in Ghana. It's an actual committee that is there just to preserve their folklore. And they have hundreds and hundreds of stories that have never been seen before, right? And to be honest, like Spider-Man is a little derivative, is kind of derivative from Anansi the Spider God, which is an old Ghanaian story, you know? Um, And there's some 
you, you know, even with Black Panther, there's a lot of stuff that crept into some old stories in Kenya. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I, I, I think what I would love to see and how I'm trying to think now is let's let's we have such rich culture. We have so and, we, you know, I'm talking about like if you look at like black culture across the diaspora, like there's there's just too much to pull from. Right. To tell the same stories over and over again, especially because a lot of times Hollywood is quick to green light black trauma, you know, versus like, you know, some of the more fantastical stuff. You know, um, those are a little bit harder to sell. And sometimes you have to even raise money independently to produce those projects because it's a you know what I mean? Like um, but with that being said, I, I just think um, what, what, what we're trying to build with Martian Blueberry is. is you know, we want to, we want to partner with like-minded people, even if they don't necessarily have the experience. That's a big part of what we're doing because mm. we 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 because 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 honestly, when like we were talking about the George Floyd situation when that happened in Hollywood was all of a sudden like we need black stories, we need diversity and all this stuff, right? There was no showrunners, right? So I my phone was ringing, my agent was calling me, he's like, they need a showrunner for this, they need a showrunner for that, they want to do this, but I'm like. You guys, the door was kept closed for so long. You never got a chance to really nurture these writers and grow them into showrunners and executive producers. So now you got a shortage of people that can actually run or be at the helm of a black TV show. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's a and that's a tragedy, bro. Like, I and and I and that's why like sometimes I be getting jobs by default because there ain't a lot of niggas doing what I'm doing. So what we want to do is we we want to change that. We we want to we want to start like. You know, cultivating some new up and coming writers and 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 just giving them the tools that they need because at the end of the day, and bro, I like I write, but I don't consider my I consider myself as a storyteller more so than a writer. Like a writer, that's like that's the the actual function or the 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 thing that's ha happening. You're writing, but being a storyteller doesn't require you to necessarily go to school and have years of experience. You know. It, you know, I mean, if anything, I I look for people that have just a unique point of view and and experiences. You know what I'm saying? Because each and every one of us has a unique experience that nobody else has. It's like a fingerprint, right? Like the people that were in your life, the things that you've been through is very unique. So I think like teaching people how to pull from those from those personal stories and people in their lives and then crafting a world around that right or or building a world around that that serves services your voice and your point your point of view like that's the thing that gets me excited because i think i think there's just a lot of brilliant minds that just don't have the opportunity to get in the industry because they don't know where to start and they don't and it's not like there ain't a lot of us is, is looking back trying to find ways to help us get in, our foot in the door you know what i'm saying um, so that that's that's what we that's what we're trying to do. Mm, I definitely want to come back to to the to the opportunities. I'm I'm curious, like from from a process like standpoint, you talk about creating the worlds and bringing your experience and just crafting, you know, those those emotional stories that feel honest and true. How do you make something funny? Like, how do you get comedy into animation? Because I think comedy is like such a such an important like component to a lot of the work that you've previously done. But how do you get there in animation? Because I know it has to be totally different than than what's achieved in live action. And we talk about things that like sell. I think historically comedy does sell. You know, if you can make people feel good and laugh, even though you might be 
also presenting them with a message. But like, what are those nuances that people might not even know about when you're actually trying to like get a comedic message across in an animated style and you have to account for voice actors and the way that it's drawn and the way that you bring it to life and, and so on and so forth? Well, um, interesting enough, comedy is very similar. Writing comedy is not very, not very different from writing drama. You know, and, I, and most people don't see because the thing about it is like so drama when you're writing drama, it comes from a place of conflict, right? Which is also the source of the best comedy. It has to come comes from a place of conflict. So sometimes, um, like if you t if you juxtapose two ideas and you put them together, a lot of times you can find the comedy there. You know what I mean? Um, I, 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 I guess kind of an example, I don't know if it quite fits this exactly, but like an example would be, so you take a, a character like Huey, right? So in the beginning, we had trouble making Huey funny because he was kind of an asshole. You know what I'm saying? Like he, you know what I mean? Like he, he, he knows every fucking thing and he's always checking people and putting Riley, you know, putting Riley in check. And, and, um, so, so the way to find the comedy with 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 um with Huey would be like, okay, you figure out what he wants, right? So he wants to start start a revolution. He wants to take down BET. It's a very serious thing. But then the conflict comes in, and the comedy comes in with the obstacle. He can't start the revolution because he can't get a ride. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? So it's like reminding people because so that in the in, and in that case the comedy the conflict comes in from uh, in a, from a flaw like the flaw in his character is that he wants to overcome the world but he's a child right mm -hmm. so what i what i usually try to do is when when you're thinking about characters the comedy i i rather do comedy i mean a uh, character driven comedy right so if you you create a character and then you figure out where the character's flaws are right and the character's flaws are what's working against his goals. So, so usually what I would do is like, you know, when you, when you start fleshing out your characters, you you would write like what your character wants versus what your character needs, right? So, what your character wants could be um, to be loved by millions. What he needs is to learn humility, right? Mm. Now, the comedy would come in when you find a way to put that character farther away from their goal and maybe embarrass him because of what he wants. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's it's like those are some of the like, I guess the the tricks of the trade or the tools that you begin to sharpen, and then eventually you can start to filter everything that you create through those things. But I I, I did want to mention one of the things that we that we also um doing with Marshall Blueberry. We're, well, right now we, we're doing a um a program with the H, with HBCU um where we have like um I think we have twelve um um students that are part of a workshop class about writing and storytelling that we're doing right now. Today was actually the first day. Um, but but we're expanding outside of that and we're actually gonna do a Marshall Blueberry Academy where you know we're teaching um we're teaching storytelling, we're teaching storyboarding, character design, um, um, NFTs, Web3, um, and also the business side. You know, um so we're teaching when I say business side, I mean you know creating creating a show or 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 a film. Um, um, the tools that you need to pitch it, how to create a successful pitch so that you have, you know what I'm saying? So you can um, get traction when you when you go to Hollywood or if you decide to go the independent route, like teaching you how to, you know, build community, build, you know, 
creating an IP and, um, and and putting out a book first so you own the publishing rights so that you can control, have creative control when you do go to market or take it to TV or film. Like things like that, that, that none of us, I didn't know when I, when I first got in the business, there was nobody there to teach me. We want to create that. We want to create that education for, 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 our, you know, for, for people that want to, you know, that are aspiring to get into the business. Yeah. I, I love that y'all paying that forward. Cause I know for sure that I, I know a lot of people who are actually are trying to get into the business who have no idea, I think which avenues, you know, to go down or how to operate it or what that playbook I think looks like um, in order to get it. So I, I love that uh, a lot. It's also funny. You, you mentioned uh, as soon as you started talking about, there's a conflict. I instantly thought about episode one where Huey is like, Jesus is black. Ronald Reagan is the devil. And the government is lying about nine 11. But what's funny is because the conflict is just white people don't believe him or like white people don't care about what he has to say. You know what I mean? So I think right. that's funny. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Cause so if he would have said that at a black Panther rally, you, there would be, it was no comedy there. Mm -hmm. He had to say it at a garden party full of white people. So that's where, so that's where you take like, okay, you got this idea of Huey wanting to get, wanting to get these things off his chest, right? Now, what's the, what's the, what's the worst place that he could do that, right? Because, because if you found the worst place that he could do that, you could take it down a dramatic road too, because it could end really horribly if it was a drama, right? Mm -hmm. If he said it, if he said that at a clam rally, but if you took it, but but that same drama or tension that's created because of these two things that shouldn't be together can also give you comedy. You know, it's it's almost like, I don't know, like 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 back in the day they used to call, well, when I grew up, we called it cracking. Some people call it snapping or whatever, but the dozens, like the dozens, the, the, the idea of the dozens came out of slavery, you know, because the slaves that had defects were being slow, sold by the dozen, right? So so when they said, when somebody said your mama had a wooden leg with a kickstand, it was probably true, right? And, and But but they were saying it, but but this is the thing, but, the, but that's why... But comedy has always been, it's been like a, a, a source of healing for us, right? It's like, it's the way that we, co it's a coping mechanism. It's how we get through some harsh realities. And so that's why at the, at the root of it, there'll be some drama. You know, you it, there's some, there's always the best comedy. Even like, you look at some of the best comedians are, have, are some real dark, tragic people. <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, they have like some real dark shit going on. But the comedy is therapeutic for them. You know, and that's why I think they're able to actually, you know, tell really strong jokes because they're already understanding that the the pain involved, you know what I'm saying, and how to juxtapose that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, going off that same idea that I think because <clears throat> you have so many front facing, front facing, you know, black shows to where. I think black people have to per be perceived in a specific way. Have you ever been, I guess, been afraid of how black person or black people might be perceived given a joke that you wanted to tell? Like, versus, like, of, of course, usually I, I think everything you've made has been for us by us, right? Like, it's like, oh, this isn't for, you know, white people. This has mainly been for black people. But has there ever been a moment like, damn, white people might look at this kind of crazy. Like, have you ever came to like any of those moments? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had, I've had those, I've had a couple moments like, like that. Um, you know, it's tough, man, you know, because there's a lot of responsibility I think that falls on our shoulders because we, we gotta, you know, <laughs> cause we're dealing with, uh, years of not seeing ourselves represented in a positive light. Right. So then when there is an opportunity to see us, you know, 
not I, I be actually I'm I be I'm usually more concerned with how our people will perceive it, especially mm-hmm. today, because there's a heightened sensitivity to how we're portrayed, and also I think an overcorrecting that's happening. You know what I'm saying? And when I say overcorrecting, meaning now it's hard to have black characters with flaws. You know, and I went through this on a show recently. You know, where we wanted to do certain things with a character and the the notes or the feedback that we got was that it was a little cringy and stuff like that, right? Um, But from my perspective, especially when you're writing comedy, like you need character flaws to create comedy. But not only that, but you got to give characters room to grow, right? So even if a character starts out in a place where they're a little fucked up in how they see the world, right? It's okay to show that, you know, because... The reality is we all got things that are flawed about us. We don't, you know, it's like, it's like, like how everyone's like really hard on any, like people's old tweets and shit, right? Like when you're going to go dig up your old stuff and like, you said this in, you know, in 2005, right? But it's like, are, are we not allowed to make any mistakes at all? Because mm-hmm. if we, if we, if we, if we're approaching, if we're approaching the culture in such a way that now we're no longer able to make wrong decisions. Right. There's really no room for real growth, you know, and everyone is now painting a picture that's not real. It's not what you really think and what you really feel It's just what is going to make this. It's now it's, it's a it's a survival mechanism. It's now you're doing this so that you can survive and you're not canceled or people aren't, you know, and that and that and that's unfortunate because I think it interferes with our ability to actually have real conversations that could lead to some real growth and evolution, you know, because we don't talk about the shit. You know what I'm saying? And just sweep it under the rug and not address some of these issues that we have. It's like giving a person with cancer Tylenol. You know, it's like it's not you know, eventually it's still gonna eat away at the, you know, and that and that's and that's so I, I but it is something it's challenging, bro, because there is a line that you gotta walk. Cause I also feel I'm invested in portraying us in a certain way too. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I feel I'm sensitive to it too. But I'm also a storyteller and an artist, so I want to do it in a way that it still rings true, right? But it's it's like when you, I guess Boondocks is probably the best example, I think, where we might have done it the best, because I think some of the other stuff I did was probably a little more socially irresponsible. But like Boondocks had such a balance of perspectives, right? So there was many entry points into this world, right? So like... So yeah, you can have an Uncle Ruckus exist in a Thugnificent because we didn't p- portray black people in a monolithic way. We showed all these different, you know what I'm saying? But not only that, not, not only just like the Rileys and the Thugnificents and, and, the, and, the, and the Uncle Ruckus, but we showed different kinds of white people too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you got Ed and Rummy and you know what I'm saying? Wunsler and, you know, um, but that was like a very well-balanced, like, honest portrayal of the society that we really lived in, you know? So, so no one could really like, they were might, they might get mad at uncle, at, at uncle Ruckus or be offended, but you got Huey on some really, really smart shit on the other side of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Right. So like you really can't hold, you know what I mean? Like you, you would, there's no, there's there, we never had a situation where somebody was like the personal views and opinions of the people behind the boondocks is uncle Ruckus. Because there was too many other things that we did that was mm-hmm. smart on the show that I think wouldn't allow, didn't give, it didn't make people feel like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
want to sort of shift gears back to what you were mentioning earlier with uh, with your company and some of the opportunities. So we're in the midst of 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 the writer strike and the actor strike in Hollywood. And I know, you know, sort of animation um, and, and the guilds within animation work differently and sort of operate differently. But are you all also having those conversations about working conditions? Because I think the inverse of like the success of a movie like Spider-Verse that we've seen, one of the things that we talked about a few weeks ago on our show is, um, you know, some of the animators coming out from behind the scenes saying that they had a really a really difficult experience managing the workload and some of the organizational process was was just it, it was not ideal and and it led to a lot of a lot of animators quitting the project so are you also you know sort of injecting any of your own personal experience to educate you know these future animators and these future creators about what that might look like and you know how do you feel about just you know preparing people for that conversation on pursuing their dream and their passion of course but knowing that there there's probably going to be some challenges ahead just because of the nature of the business and how things work that's a that's a great question um <laughs> yeah the, well the the working conditions so i particularly animation I'm speaking to, right? It, it's, the schedules are really insane. Like they, the schedules and the budgets don't really make sense typically. Like there's exceptions to the rule, you know, depending on how big and successful your show is. I'm sure you, you know, you, you know, if your family guy, you got an insane budget and the staff is, is enough of a staff to, you know what I'm saying? To handle mm -hmm. the short time frame that you have to make this stuff. And most people don't even consider this as a short time frame because it takes like a year and a half to two years to produce a series. And so, and you know, so I, I understand like how people might look at that and go, well, that's a long time. But when you look at the actual production and what's happening, <laughs> you know, the because it's a very compartmentalized process, but everything is overlapping and happening at the same time. So we have what we call like a waterfall schedule, right? Where you basically, <laughs> where there's not like, you, you know, you finish one, part of the production, then you move on to the next. There's like six or seven different stages of production happening simultaneously, right? And um, and a lot of times the artists are, are given very little time to do, especially especially on, especially if it's an anime style show, because that's a more realistic show with like real painted backgrounds and you know, your hand, your, you know what I mean? So it's a it's a it's a lot. You know, um and I got I can't front like I would push a lot of my, well, I wouldn't say push a lot of my artists. I think, I think most of the people that like work under me or with me, you know, was also wanting it, the end product to be good. So they were, they were dedicated and willing to put in the extra time and stay overnight and do all of this kind of stuff. Right. Um, but that's only because the schedule was just ridiculous. The schedule is just ridiculous. And and I've been saying this forever, but it just falls on Deb's ears because at the end of the day, that bottom line is 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 louder than anything that you can say. So you never really see uh, it doesn't change much. Um, but what I will say about the strike and the thing that I'm I'm talking about a lot lately is is ownership, right? And not only ownership, but this, so if we're, we're at a we're at this fork in the road, right? Where creatives feel like they've been exploited, they feel like they're not respected, they're not valued, and they're not being paid their worth, right? But because there's no other options, there's no real incentive for Hollywood to necessarily bend to your needs and your wants. As a matter of fact, there was a studio executive that said in the trades 
that they were going to push this this strike so far that people would lose their homes and not be able to pay their mortgages. I don't know if you saw that, right? Yeah. So like mm-hmm. the audacity, so the audacity of someone to even say that, right, is insane. And I kind of view this as like, like you're in a bad relationship, right? And you're 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 begging your partner to see your worth, and you shouldn't have to do that. But the moment that they know that there's some there's someone else in the picture or there's a possible another option, you know what I mean? Then the person starts to act right, and I think that's what we're, we're what we're about to see. And and that's only and, and I and I feel like when when we get pushed in the corner, I think human beings just by nature are really resilient. And when we get back into a corner or we get pushed to a wall. You know, that's where we get really creative and innovative and we find another way. So there's only so long you can take advantage of people before they find another way to do shit. And there is another way. And this is why I've been pushing really hard for people to understand Web3 and, and NFTs. And, and I know it's got a negative connotation and people got a knee jerk reaction to NFTs because a lot of the bad actors in the space and people, have, you know, it's, you know, it's just it's like. But it's like any new market or the stock market. Like you got bad people that play the stock market, but there's also a lot of good shit that happens. So I, I but I, I push it really hard because um, Web3, just to explain it in a nutshell, because that's the biggest problem is most people don't truly understand it. But Web1 was, in a nutshell, was reading the internet. Web2 was being able to write and engage in the internet. Web3 is actually being able to have stake and ownership in the internet. And what that means is right now, our data is the number one commodity in the world, right? Which is basically our attention. Where we focus our attention is where all the money is being made. So every bit of data that we're that we're that we're presenting online, right? Whether it's comments or where our eyes are or content we're putting out that's drawing people's eyes to it, all of that data right? We are not monetizing at all. And we have no stake in the platform. And we have no say if they don't want us on the platform anymore, right? So it's digital colonialism. So we're literally providing all of this culture and content and information that's being monetized, refined, and sold back to us, right? So what Web3 offers is the ability to have digital ownership over your data and your identity, Right. So it's literally that's all it is. All the NFT is is a token that represents your stake in a very in a particular asset. Right. A digital asset. That's all it is. Um, so I'm just saying that. So the basic premise of that is game changing, because the, the, the issue that we're having with streamers. Right. If. If there was. If they integrated blockchain technology and Web3 technology into the framework of Hollywood, each and every time that something is so when you create a TV show, right, you have a digital, you have a rep, you have a you have a digital, uh, you have a token that represents your your your, your stake in that particular um uh TV show or film, right? There's a smart contract in place that happens through AI that each and every time that someone watches that movie, there's a check that gets cut. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That goes directly to each and every person's wallet that was involved in the making of that film. So this is why I'm, I've been pushing. I had, and I've even talked to the WGA about it because I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, like this is revolutionary, game changing because it's a. If you, I'm talking about if you truly approach it as, from a decentralized perspective, 
right? And and so so what it also allows people to do is fans of the content are also stakeholders. So when I when I think about the the success of the Boondocks, that happened because of the 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 people that loved it so much and broadcasted it to the world and helped to market and promote it because we. You know what I'm saying? Like we, it wouldn't be as big as it was if it wasn't for the people. So how come the people that contributed to the success of it aren't benefiting from it? Like you should have a stake in that. You know what I'm saying? So instead of being shareholder, instead of a shareholding community, it's a stakeholding community. So now when you, when you, when you, and this is what we're, we're actually working on a platform on a mo on a media platform like a Netflix, right? That has a social media component to it. That when you subscribe to the, the channel or I mean, to the platform, you are immediately a stakeholder in it. So as it grows in success and becomes more valuable, so does the asset that you hold, you know what I'm saying? And that's the way it should be done. That way it's even playing, that way you, you don't just have the, the big guy making multi-billions of dollars and then the, the bro, I, I did a Vlad uh, interview with Vlad um, yesterday, right? And he, because we had him on the boondocks, right? Like, like mm -hmm. back, like he was, you know, he played himself. Yeah. So he was like, he said, so bro, he said, I'm so thankful that you that you let me be on the show. He said, I'm gonna give you my residual, my 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 uh, my residual check that I just got um last month for the show, and it was four dollars and five cents. Wow. Yep. Four dollars. Like, this shit cents. has to change, man. Yeah. You know, and the last thing I'll say on this on this topic. Even with even with this podcast, right? Here's the other. Here's the beautiful thing about about like the, even the show you have, like bro, this content is so valuable. If you the dope the dopest thing about Web three is you don't have to reach ten million people, right? In order for you to make money into in a cure value, you can have a thousand people. But if each one of those thousand people, each one of those people are stakeholders, right? And you and you and you lay out a a a um a strategy a business strategy for your show right where you're building value in it and they're incentivized to help you build value in it because they have stake in it and it doesn't take money out your pocket because it's a because they have a digital token that represents their asset or or you know what I mean and so as you begin to as your company becomes more valuable and the show becomes more popular they also benefit which makes them even bigger evangelists for it. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, this shit is the wave of the future. When we dropped the NFT project called Bubble Boost Ballers um, last year during the bear market, and we sold out 10,000 NFTs in less than an hour, and we mm -hmm. built a really strong community around this project. And now, on the on the on the back of Bubble Boost Ballers, we're building this multimedia. I mean, we're building Martian Blueberry, and 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 now now that we have a new pathway to seed IP and to grow it and build communities around it and and, and explore different verticals. I'm telling you, bro, like that's and 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 retain your ownership mm. and then go to Hollywood later, you know, and, and do a TV show or movie. Yeah. I'm sorry, I could go on for it because I'm just really passionate. No, about you, you, you just you just dropped all the gems in the world right there. That that Bars. is that is like really <laughs> no, as you said, that's game changing stuff. And I think that 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 is that is definitely feeling like the next way. So I'm glad you illustrated it in that way, because I think that that idea of like audience members, fans, you know, growing those communities, but also having that stake. That stakeholder, you know, sort of ownership in, in in these properties is crucial because of just the success and the value that we do provide to those things. So, yeah, I, I think right. you just you just you, you educate a lot right there. 
Yeah, for sure. Also, shout out to Bubba Goose Ballers, man. All those NFTs are really dope, by the way. I've seen oh, them. Yeah, I've been seeing them for a while. I was like, oh, shoot, these look really dope. I, was, I also love the story behind Bubba Goose Ballers and stuff, too. I think I I know I know a little bit about some Bubba Goose Ballers. I see. You know, that's what's up. Kind of in that same vein, Bubba Goose Ballers, of course. I, I know you talked about how you used to, I mean, the way you used to draw, you know, the characters and stuff and how it's like, of course, the specific jackets and coats they got on. Kind of in that same vein, um, there is I, your career always feels like there's also like this secret. I don't even know if it's a secret, but a love for hip hop. Right. Uh, and so for shout out to you for, for first of all, voice of Thugnificent is like my favorite one of my favorite characters <laughs> for sure. But also um, I know before that was supposed to be ludicrous. You talked about that at one point in time, too. That's supposed to be. Ludicrous. Well, not only that. But you've had shoot, you've worked with numerous rappers. We know you got um, Megan Thee Stallion project. We know you got what is it, Karaku with Super Duper Kyle. Just mm-hmm. I'm just curious, what is your relationship to hip hop and how that strives to animation, as well as some of the future projects you have with other, you know, uh, uh, music <laughs> stars, rappers, uh, uh, R and B singers coming out. What is kind of like your relationship to all of that? I mean, I think I mean it's like the it's kind of like the the fabric of every bit of art that we create now to me because like i mean you know it was the, at one point it was it was the soundtrack not only just the soundtrack to our life i think our lives i think it was also like hip-hop contextualized what was happening in our communities in our communities you know when it when i'm talking about in its in its inception like it was it was a way it was a way for us it was our, it was the voice of of our people and it was and it was loud and it was disruptive and it didn't give a fuck you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. it didn't care who didn't understand it it didn't it, hip hop didn't it wasn't apologetic it was it was what it was you know um it wasn't trying to reach everybody that's the other thing right like talking about going broad like i mean wu-tang was damn near rapping in hieroglyphics like i, I half of us didn't even know what they were talking about right <laughs> but like you know what I'm saying? So, so that that is because that was like to me like the foundation for all of the art that we to me anyway all of the art that we made. You know, it only it only felt right that we would work with artists and make the music a big part of the storytelling too. You know what I'm saying? Because because it also because I think because it was it's, it's the culture right. So it inspired our attitude and, and our fashion and it inspired. You know what I'm saying? The way we talk, our slang, our, our swag, like hip hop is everything, you know? So I feel like, like now I'm in a place where I can actually work with some of these artists that I look up to and inspire and, and am inspired by. And, um, and actually it's interesting because like, you know, cause I'm doing some stuff with Trippy Red too and, um, and, and Chief Keith as well. And mm-hmm. like these guys, like, you know, they grew up, like they were kids, like watching the stuff that I was making. Right. And so there's this, like mutual respect. Like I got love and respect for what they do on the music side. They got love and respect what I do on the animation side. So it's like a, it's like, that's why I think, I think a lot of what we're doing with Martian Blueberry, there is this fusion of music, you know, hip hop and, and, and animation that just happened organically. And, and we, and we've embraced it to the point where we actually are launching a music division of, of Martian Blueberry. So we have, um, I can't talk too much about the projects that we're working on, but um, but we but we've been talking to different record labels and, and partnering with them for, for for specific projects, you know. So like, there's a project that we, we're doing with Republic Records. That I can't I can't too, talk too much about, but uh, but uh, I'll just say Wheezy. 
and that's it. Yeah. But, but we got, but, but, but it was just a, but it, but it really was just like this organic thing that just, it just made sense, you know. Um, it, it wasn't like we, because even even with Boondocks, I mean, like we hired, um, like Knife Wonder did did some of the um some of the some of the music. Big Tank, who's also you know accredited you know producer, um, um, uh, another producer named For Ten is really dope. And and even uh, oh, a metaphor the great, you know, mm-hmm. um, Double J the Genius, who did some a lot of production and. And, and I mean, these I mean, these are like real hip hop heads, real hip hop artists doing real music. You know what I'm saying? And that and that so we that that was that that was really important that that we had the kind of music that felt like the show. You, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, you've been super generous with your time today. Um, I just want to, you know, sort of start to wrap up with um, a couple last questions. Um Outside of your own work, and we've already kind of talked about some of the other things you've been sort of tapped into from Atlanta to the Spider-Verse movies. But have you seen anything else lately that's that's really inspired you that you would recommend that people watch outside of, you, you know, your own work that you've been that you've been working on? Uh, what have I watched lately? I know there's something I'm trying to think. It's not animated, though, but I just I just uh, I just watched Painkillers, which was which was really crazy. There's a series called Painkillers. It's I think I've wild. heard about that one. Yeah. Yeah, but it's but it's about the um the oxycontin um epidemic. You know what I'm saying? But it's you know, but I you know, because I, I watch a bunch of shit. The thing that I, <laughs> I tell you one thing that I watch religiously over and over and over again, and I've been watching it for years, and it's just I'm addicted. And I've seen I've seen each and every episode maybe about a hundred times, is the office. <laughs> I so, just rewatched that entire series like a couple months oh. ago. Well, you know, so so Peacock, they got the um, they got uh, a lot of those episodes, like the uh, what do you call it, the um, like the the cutting room, the stuff that got cut from oh, from that. Mm-hmm. So, so they got they got the longer extended versions with the stuff mm-hmm. that didn't get cut. Man, it's like it, it's you gotta you gotta watch it. It's it's amazing. Um, but yeah, what I, what I, let me see anime. Oh, um, on, well, on the animation side, Cyberpunk. Yes. Crazy. <laughs> yes. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Man, like, Nuts. bro, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I love that shit so much. Uh, and um, I saw Turtles at the at the theater. You know, Turtle, the, the new Tears Me Ninja Turtles. Yeah, we just I, reviewed that one. Yeah, it was really I good. It. I could not believe they had an iced tea line six in the morning. Police at my door. <laughs> yeah, and, and Ninja Turtles. It's crazy. Yeah, I love that movie. It. Black as hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny. I actually, I had pitched an idea because I, I met with Nickelodeon because they were looking for some new ideas for turtles. And this was years ago, but I pitched them this idea that because we, you know, they never really got a chance to be teenagers, like actual teenagers. So I pitched this idea. I was like, "What if like Odd Future was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles?" Oh, right? Wow. And and, and, they, and, they, and they actually took like um like one of the uh, I forgot the name of the technology. Um, that they got from like Shredder or whatever, and they where where basically it could it could basically create like a um like a human skin, and they and so um so or at least the projection of like a human body. So they ended up actually like going to high school and like you know what I'm saying living out like a like being like a regular high school kid or whatever. Um, but but they and they did so, but but you know it's funny. So they 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 said they couldn't do it. They said they loved this idea out of all the ones that they heard. They were like, we really like this. And um, but they were like, it's too close 
to the actual creator of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, where I did it, he had, but I didn't know anything about the movie at the time. Yeah, yeah, that's funny how that 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 was happening like around the same time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm grateful that we got it now, as you said. Like we 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 didn't really get a chance to experience their teenage years and that 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 side of them. So it definitely turned out well. But um, I, I think I speak on behalf of both of us, man. We we really appreciate you and your time today. Um, you, you've inspired not only us, but just so many people all over the years. I remember always just seeing your name and Aaron Magruder's name at the end of those episodes, thinking like, yeah, those are black men behind that. That's that's just like an incredibly great oh, moment to know that, that that existed, you know, and there wasn't many opportunities or spaces for that. And so to even see where you are now with Martian Blueberry, it's it's really an inspiration for everything um, that you all are doing and just all the avenues and pathways and, and pipeline that you're really creating for, for future artists. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to mention about the company, the future, and just like the overall outlook of, of what you have in store for Martian Blueberry? No, just um, just just follow us, you know. Um, follow us on on Instagram at We Are Martian B, um, and and check out Bubble Goose Ballers uh, on Twitter. We got to We got to really, really. Uh, we we put out a lot of fun stuff. We're doing a lot of cool things. Um, so uh, yeah. So on Twitter, we're at Bubble Goose X Y Z, at Bubble Goose X Y Z, and you can go to our website too. It's um, Bubble Goose uh, dot X Y Z amazing well again carl thank you again for the time today can't yes, wait yes. to see everything y'all have in store with martian b and and and, and bubble goose and and everything that you'll be working on in the future um again you're a true inspiration i think to a lot of people so appreciate the time today and hopefully we'll uh we'll do this again soon sometime awesome man thank you i appreciate y'all absolutely thank you take it easy all right all right peace peace all right, and we are back, and we would just once again like to thank the one and only Carl Jones, man. Just such an incredible force behind the camera and, of course, in front of the camera as well. He's done a lot of voice acting, if, if people didn't know. But Carl Jones, man, he's just such a he's such a great figure in the, in the midst of Hollywood, especially as it relates to animation. So that interview was super, super fun. Definitely can't wait to hopefully catch up with him one day in the future. But, folks, with all of that being said, that's all we have for this episode of Two Black Nerds. Thank you again for tuning into another podcast we will be back next week because we have to talk about the brand new dc feature film blue beetle that's right we're gonna catch up and review that latest film from dc studios i don't know if it's a part of the dceu or the brand new dcu still Nobody quite knows. unsure about that whole st- that, that whole situation right now but we will be back next week to talk about that film and we're gonna do some spoilers as well and get into the nitty-gritty but until then we will see y'all next time Yes, sir. We are Audi 5000. Please check out our Two Black Jedi and Two Black Sith collection at twoblacknerds.com. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy. And we out, y'all. Peace. See, I've been having it so long.